This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. It is hard to believe that we are already in the last week of October 2021. Football season is upon us. I mean, it's hard to believe. What are we now, uh, like week nine in football? The nice thing is we have 17 games. I, I'd like to see like 30 games personally. My, actually, 52 games a year would probably be better. But it is our tradition here on the Cigar Dave Show that at the end of October, we celebrate the end of Cigar Oktoberfest with a grand finale, a giant Oktoberfest tasting maneuver edition of the Cigar Dave Show where we talk about beer, we sample various beers, we pair them up with various cigars, and today I am pleased to report that we have selected 17, maybe 18 beers. If we have time, maybe we'll get to 18 beers that we will sample today, starting from uh, mild all the way to full and unique various expressions of beer along the way. Long Ash greetings and salutations, a Long Ash Snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. It is your global five-star general alpha male-in-chief cigar day front and center. We have moved Command Center Alpha to the Davidoff of Geneva store and lounge where not only is it Command Center Alpha, but it is also Humidor 1A, and we are in the Cigar City of Tampa, their magnificent 5,000-square-foot mega store and lounge. And it is my pleasure to welcome our special beer expert, no, uh, well-known brewmaster in the Cigar City area, Tim Shackton, who is the brewmaster of Ulele. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Tim, Richard Gonsmart, the founder of Ulele and certainly the family behind the Columbia Restaurant and Columbia Restaurant Group. I think Richard told me Ulele's in the top five grossing restaurants in the state of Florida now. Well, we're certainly busy every day, and it's such a pleasure to be back here with you, sir. But it was our delight to have you. We really yeah. enjoyed it. We didn't, I don't, did we do it last year? We did it two years ago. That's right. Last year, with all the craziness, I don't think we did it. But two years ago, we had you, and we had to bring you back. Now, before we get to talking beers and talking about uh, the history of Oktoberfest, let me remind you that the Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta, commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and by Davidoff of Geneva. Introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean and accentuated with a touch of tobaccos from Central America. Head to the land where palms sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Now, Tim, interesting story behind you lately. Before we get into talking about Cigar Oktoberfest and various beers, Richard and I go way, way back. I've known Richard almost 27 years the way we met is I started the Cigar Dave show, the predecessor called Smoke This July of 1995. One hour in Tampa on WSUN, 620 at the time. A couple of months after we start the show, I get a call from Richard. And uh, there was some cigar event that we were both at. And we said, well, great, let's talk. And he said, I'd love to do your show live from our historic cafe. 
which is takes about a quarter of the entire restaurant. It's an entire city block, the Columbia Restaurant. Nothing like it anywhere else in the world. And he said, I'd love to do that because that was started in 1905 as a cafe for the cigar workers in Tampa, in the Cigar City. I said, great. And the next thing you know, the first Saturday of every month, we are doing the Smoke This Show, then the Cigar Dave Show from that cafe. And we had people coming from all over the place every, every uh, time we did the live show once a month. We had a great time. And unfortunately, the enemies of pleasure reared their ugly head, and the new indoor smoking laws took effect, and that kind of put the kibosh on it. But we did it for about four or five years and really had a wonderful time. And when I see Richard, we always talk about the great memories that we had. Well, Richard is a visionary, and the old Tampa Waterworks, just north of downtown, uh, this building, very historic building, but there was nothing around there, nothing in the building. When he first told me I'm going to do this restaurant, and he told me the concept, native kind of Florida foods, and he told me where it was, and I'm like, where? There's nothing <laughs> around there, Richard. Are you out of your mind? I said, who the hell's going to go there? Literally, there was nothing there. And he told me initially we were going to put $2 million. It's going to take us two, two and a half million on the high side to do it, to renovate this building and rehab it and do what he wants to do. Well, $8 million later, he finished it, and everybody thought he was, and he told me, he said, I didn't do this for the money. I did this because there's history here, and I really thought we could do something special. And he told me, he said, I didn't think I was going to make any money on it because we, put, we went, you know, four times over budget, three times over budget, whatever it was. Well, now it's one of the top, I think he told me, five grossing restaurants in the state. I was with Cigar Mother a couple of weeks ago. We saw you. We had a lovely lunch there. It's a great restaurant. It's right on the Hillsborough River, right near the Tampa Riverwalk. And one of the things that Richard wanted to do to make it special was create an in-house brewery, make it different. And so, therefore... Tim, that's where you come in. Well, I tell you, there is a historical precedent uh, that ties to the Gonsmart family. Richard talks about it all the time um, with the property. And uh, his, uh, his, gran his grandfather, Casimiro Hernandez, who was the founder of the Columbia Restaurant, was a brewmaster himself. I he didn't know that. He was a brewer, yeah, at uh, the Florida Brewery in town. And the uh, Columbia cafe before it became the columbia cafe was owned by that brewery i never and, knew that and it was a tavern so the story goes that he bought that space to open the cafe and um uh the cafe was sourced with water from the springs that uh sit on the property of eulalie so the very first batch of black bean soup that came out of the line to serve all those uh germans and italians and uh, Cubans that were rolling cigars, that, that first recipe came from a water source that uh, is very special to us at Ulele. The, uh I remember being there uh, the very first time walking into Ulele and seeing a property that was in a horrible state of disrepair. Totally. I tell this story all the time with guests that come in the building. I said, you know how far we've come. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, there were open fire pits in the, in the middle of the building and it just looked like it had seen better days. But I listened to the vision of uh, what the idea was. And, boy, if you listen for five minutes to the man, you, you, you just fall into it, hook, line, and sinker. And uh, it took us a couple years to develop and build. And when we opened, uh, we've been very fortunate. And it's been 
busy ever since. We've been so blessed to have the business. I keep having the same problem, General. I gotta, I, I make all this beer and people keep drinking it. It's a horrible situation. Well, but I do know one thing, that the good stuff, the special limited edition stuff, Tim, you always do have a bottle for me. Oh, I've got one today. <laughs> yes, it's going to bring you to tears of joy. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I told Richard, for example, with Eulalie, is I said, Richard, you epitomize the kind of the, the saying that follow the process, don't follow the money. Because he, I guarantee you he never once looked and said, geez, how much money do you think I could make by doing this restaurant? I, and I, I've told this to him. And he said, no, you're right. He said, I have always focused on what we could do food-wise. He traveled, he told me, he said, I traveled all over the place to find the type of ingredients around the state, around the country. He really wanted to make it native Floridian and do things very uniquely. And mo a lot of people, I think, if you look in today's corporate culture, they look and say, okay, let's put a spreadsheet together and say, okay, we're putting this so much. How many, how many people can we serve? How much? What's the bottom line? He never concentrated on that. He concentrated on, number one, let's build something unique and special, something long-term. Let's put a very unique menu. Let's put a brewery in here. Nobody else really has that per se. So he put a lot of uniqueness into it. But as my father always would say, he goes, always take the experience, the money will follow. And I think this is the exact same thing. You start out with something you believe in. You trust the process and say, this is what we're going to go through. I'm not worrying about the bottom line. I'm worrying about doing everything right, getting the building the way I want it, getting the menu, the food, the culture, how we want to do things. And then what do you know? When you do all those things, amazingly and miraculously, customers come in and the money follows. And I think there's too many times where people say today, hey, let's, let's, how much money can we make? And, and those are the restaurants or those are the businesses that fail. Because ultimately, you have to concentrate on the product, on the service, whatever the case is. If you concentrate on that, everything else tends to fall into place. And I think Eulalie is a perfect example of that, where he said, this is how we want to do it. I want to do it right. It's going to take me longer than I thought. Because he told me, he said, we went way longer than we thought to open it. But he always believed in what he was doing. And I think if you do that, you believe it, you follow you know, your instinct, you follow the process, success comes later. Not guaranteed, but I'll tell you, I think the odds are in your favor if you follow that, that particular trail. You know, the uh, observation I have about what you just said is if you, if you take care of the important things, everything else falls into place. And I see that happen every day at Eulalie. And I would also say that if you think that you want – the brewery to be open and producing beer 100 years from now that you have a different perspective on things and you start thinking about the people that are walking in the door right oh it's your 50th wedding anniversary or hey it's your birthday and you know hey guess what those people their grandchildren will be in our beer garden celebrating their lives and that, that kind of timeless hospitality is what I it just absolutely feeds me and I, that's what I love about the business now, every day. Now, I heard you had a, a big, uh, about a week and a half ago, I heard you had a big beer 
party or party in the beer garden, tasting lots of beers. I didn't. I didn't see my name on the invite list, Tim. I, oh my goodness! I mean, gracious. How, how did that happen? I, I would have brought cigars too, because I, I know there's cigar friendly there. We had cigars lit at the event. It was beautiful, and I'm sorry that you didn't. Uh, you were not there. I wish you were, and I promise you, you have my solemn vow right now. I will make sure that you get it, uh, an invite at the very next uh, dinner. Yeah. So last week we had a, a five course beer dinner with six beers, and we had our executive chef, Patrick uh, Quackenbush, working furiously in the kitchen, and uh, it was just a wonderful affair. Uh, we, had, we had so many libations on the table and so many happy people, some regulars, some people that were relatively new. The weather was perfect, and it was... Is it covered in the beer garden? No, it's not. So it's open. It's open, but it was a harvest moon right. and a full moon. And it's just an absolutely stunning night. And you had this commanding view of the river walk with, on, overlooking the old North Boulevard Bridge. We started the event just as the sun was setting. And uh, it just was amazing to be able to bring all those people together in one special place and have our staff come running out. And everything seemed to be timed perfectly. And the, we, we had so many wonderful things happen. I can't even begin to tell you. I'll have to take your word for it since, again, I was not on the invite list. It's breaking I, my heart, I guess sir. only six-star generals can be invited. Five stars are not invited. But I, I know the next one you have, you know where to find me, Tim. You got it. It's All right, we'll be there. Consider it done. And I'll bring the cigars, too. All right. Fear not. And I, <laughs> I know we'll go through all of those. And I know Richard enjoyed some great cigars. And I'll never forget, one time we were at a big smoke down in Miami Beach, and uh, I didn't know Richard was going to go. And uh, sure enough, we're at the Big Smoke. And I think it was at the, I'm trying to remember what hotel. I think it was at the Lowe's at the time or the Westin. And, of course, I'm walking by and all of a sudden I hear, Dave. And I look and it's Richard. And he was there <laughs> and smoking cigars. And I'm like, I didn't know you were coming down. He goes, I didn't either. It was a last-minute thing. But we smoked some great cigars and, and of course, had a, uh, had a fantastic time. So let's talk a little bit about Oktoberfest. What is Oktoberfest? It is the world's largest Volksfest, which is a beer festival and traveling funfair held annually in München, Bavaria, Deutschland, in Munich. It is a 16 to 18 day folk festival running from mid-September until the first Sunday in October. More than 6 million people from around the world attend every year. Locally, it is called Devisen after the colloquial name for the fairgrounds, Teresenweiss. And it is Oktoberfest, a very important part of Bavarian culture, having been held since 1810. And, of course, there are Oktoberfest celebrations across the world. Now, I always say, Oktoberfest, people say, well, you know, General, Oktoberfest really starts mid-September and wraps up by the first weekend of October. And I'm like, well, the Germans should have called it Septemberfest then. <laughs> so we celebrate it in October. I don't care when they celebrate it. It's called Oktoberfest, not Septemberfest. Now, in 2020, uh, it was canceled. This year, canceled. Next year, it will be 17 September, uh, hopefully when things get back to normal. We've already started to get back to normal here, but they're a little bit late in Deutschland. So very interesting kind of history. Traces uh, goes way, way back. But basically, a big festival. There's parades, there's food, there's music, there's drinking. There are large, very bodacious, uh, well-stacked, bosomed, if you will, 
draw lines. Dri- yeah, fi- yes, exactly. Where yes, they're and they're indeed. coming with twenty-eight, you know, giant uh, steins of beer in their hands. And uh, it's funny because my parents went, and you know they have these big steins, and you know my father and mother said, "Oh, we'll each order a stein." Well, they had like you know five sips, and they were watching <laughs> these people having like ten of these things at a time, and they were amazed. And they said there was probably not one of the one of the waitresses that was probably less than about 240 uh, in the place and uh let's put it this way they said they were all top heavy if and you will they're all very beautiful indeed there you go exactly so you can pick up some deutsche uh Fraus and add it to your harem all right now let's talk about beer because when you think about oktoberfest you think about beer beer is one of the oldest most widely consumed alcoholic beverages in the world Third most popular drink overall after water and tea. I was going to say coffee, but it's not. Water and tea. Hmm. And as you know, Tim, being a brewmaster, produced by the brewing and fermentation of starches, primarily cereal grains, uh, commonly through malted barley, wheat, maize, which is corn, rice, oats, and then you add uh, fermentation agent, and then you put hops, which adds bitterness, other flavors. So let's talk about Brewing beer, the process, if you will. Brewing 101 for all of our uh, alphas and lieutenants that are listening. Well, it's a passion I carry uh, for many years now. And, um, you know, even after all these years, the moment a a kettle of wort starts to boil and I add those hops and that burst of just earth and malt and the spiciness of the hops just hits your nose, I never get tired of it. It's a very simple process. You know, you start with uh, malted barley, malted wheat, malted rye, and uh, you run those uh, grains into a, a, a malting house, right? And they basically, if it's a traditional malting house, they spray the seed with water and then acrospire or green shoot emerges from the seed. And they remove the green acrospire and then they roast it in a kiln, a kiln that looks like a big cement truck. And then uh, after they give it a light toast, they send the grain to me. I crack it open in my mill, and I expose the interior of the, sh- of, of the seed. And as I crack it open in my mill, it goes and tr- gets travel, uh, travels up an auger and gets sent into a tank that holds the dry grain. That's a grist case. And then we drop the grain from the grist case into a mash tun. A mash tun, it's like a big coffee machine. It has a false bottom and I'm spraying water at a very specific temperature um, and onto the grain as it drops. And and I make a big bed of mash. It looks like oatmeal when I'm done. And what we do is if it hits the right temperature, we allow the uh, mash to rest for about an hour and all of those soluble starches in the grain convert into fermentable sugar. And then we uh, extract all the liquid from the grain. It's like making, a, again, making a pot of coffee. We continuously mm-hmm. add water to the grain bed, and it's extracting not only the sugars from the interior of the seed, it's also uh, the roastiness of the outside of the shell. So if I want to make a stout beer, I use a lot of dark roasted grains. Right. If I want to make a, a, a something delicate like a Pilsner, it's a lot of pale roasted grains. So we'll fill our, our brew kettle up with about, in, at Ulele, it's about... Uh, 15 U.S. barrels. It's almost 500 gallons. And uh, we'll, we'll boil that wort. And that's the raw beer. We call it wort. And as it's boiling, we add hops. And the hops are beautiful. Hops are like uh, grapes are to wine. They uh, collect essence of the region of the soil that they're grown in. 
So we'll use hops from all over the world. And if I want fruity, I'll use something from New Zealand or Australia. If I want floral and spicy, I'll go into the Czech Republic or Germany. If I want pine and citrus and bold, we'll go Pacific Northwest all the way. So we'll add the hops while the uh, wort is boiling, and then we'll cook the beer for a couple hours and then send it through a heat exchanger to cool it down into a, a, a big conical tank, a stainless steel tank that's refrigerated. It's called a fermentation tank, and we're going to aerate the wort with food-grade oxygen, and then we introduce a, a yeast to the beer. Now, the yeast is the magic right? The, if it's an ale yeast, there's two different types. There's ale, there's lager. We do both at Eulalie. But uh, the yeast comes out of its dormant state and engages into the wort and starts to consume all the sugars and creates a byproduct of alcohol and carbon dioxide gas. And that's called fermentation. So that can last as little as uh, uh, several days, as long as a couple weeks. And then there's a period of time where there's in the same tank that will have a period of cold storage. To store cold directly translates to lager. So uh, we cold store all of our beer until the yeast settles naturally. And then we'll pump the finished product when it's ready to drink into our cold room to serve. Uh, all in all, it could take as little as two weeks. It could take as long as six to eight weeks, depending on the beer style. But uh, at Eulalie, because we don't package for distribution, we have 1,000 people coming in every right. single day. The whole idea is site-brewed, site-served is the freshest, purest expression of a beer that you can make. And I love that moment when people drink it for the first time and I see their eyes light up. It's a beautiful thing. Now, do you put them in kegs? Large tanks. Tanks. They, you know, each tank holds the equivalent of 30 of the college-sized kegs you might gotcha. see. And, um, of course, the beer goes directly from those tanks through underground refrigerated beer line to the faucet, to the glass, to the table, hopefully as quickly as possible. Now, I've tasted wort, and it's yes. very sweet. Yes, it is. It's, it's almost drinking like a it, – because it, it, I said, you can drink this? They go, yeah, 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 you can drink it, no problem, because it's already boiled. Mm -hmm. So it's very sweet, very unique, has a very – almost a honey-like aroma to it. There's many different worts you can produce. And, of course, that's one of the key to the flavor expression of a beer is what kind of a blend of malts do you use. If you want chocolate, if you want spicy, you can use dark roasted malts. If you want red, you've got caramel malts. That doesn't mean that there's caramel in the beer. Right. But that's how they roast the grain to give the effect of caramel. And, of course, again, I come back to the most difficult beer to produce, which is the lighter lagers and the pilsners. Why is that more difficult? Well, it's hard to execute. It's cold fermented. Uh, you, you have a very limited parameter of ingredients. You have a long period of time for production. And uh, it, any mistake is laid open bare. So if you ever walk into a brewery and you want to understand the skill set of the brewmaster in the brewery, go taste their light lager or if they have a pilsner. That will tell you. That will tell you how, how skilled they are. And, uh, of course, our Pilsner, Eulalie Light, is our best-selling beer, by far. By far. Well, lager is the number one selling style in the United States. Because when you think of Budweiser, when you think of, of uh, Coors, when you think of Miller, those are all lagers. Yes, indeed. It's known as liquid bread. I would I venture to say that the original craft beer movement in America happened in the 1880s. You know, you had folks like my great-great-grandfather 
and John Shandorf, and he was a tavern owner in Milwaukee, and right at the center of that period of time, when the German brewers, there was no artificial refrigeration. As right. a matter of fact, the only artificially, re the very first artificially refrigerated brewery was right here in Tampa. Really? Yeah, in 1887. Didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, without that, they had to harvest blocks of ice from the lake, and they used caves and basements and covered right. with sawdust, and it was a very hard process. And, of course, back in those days, your distribution route was as far as a horse-drawn wagon could go out Correct. and back on the same day. So they've progressed so much during that time. But it was uh, uh, that period of time when the new German brewers came in, and it was so crisp, so flavorful, it drank like liquid bread. It revolutionized the world, actually. Well, and, and that's what's interesting, because up until maybe 20, 20, maybe 30 years ago, beer was very regional. You would, you're from Milwaukee, so you would have the beers that were from Milwaukee. I'm from Buffalo. There were, you know, Iroquois beer. There was uh, Utica Club, and we're going to try one of those. But they, beer was very, very regional, much like cigars were way back then. They weren't national dis nationally distributed. I think really the first one to go national was probably Anheuser-Busch mm -hmm. with Budweiser. But most cities, you drank a locally brewed beer. Correct. And we're going back to that now. We are. The scene has changed much different. Uh, of course, the relentless pursuit of distribution is one of the success stories of American craft beer. Being able to say, okay, well, we can only distribute through the inner city, but let's go out. And uh, all of a sudden, you've got a, a company like Miller distributing Miller Lite to 48 contiguous states. It's the first time in history that ever happened. Right. And, uh, you know, there's so many logistics involved. Uh, it's, it's a story that's not told very often. I have a great deal of respect for large brewers, you know, and small brewers. The small brewers are the seed of innovation in the community. All of our sour beers, our hazy IPAs, sure. our Gozas, everything you can imagine in Tampa comes from the small brewers. But the people who uh, have the larger scale breweries, they have just this broad footprint. And uh, it took a, it, many generations to get to that point. Well, here's what's interesting, though. When you talk about Coors or Anheuser-Busch with, with Bud, they don't have one brewery. They have breweries across the country. So, for example, they may have five, six breweries. Like, I think Anheuser-Busch at one time had maybe a dozen breweries across the country. I think there's less than that now. But they still brew to a degree regionally. So they have one in, I think, upstate New York that takes care of kind of the northeast, mid-Atlantic. They certainly have St. Louis. At one time, they had a brewery here in Tampa. They which, did. Which they sold. But if you take a look, many of them are, are brewing on a regional-type basis, and then they distribute it out. Now, here's an interesting little factoid. When beer is distilled, the resulting liquor is a form of whiskey. Have you hmm. ever tried that? I have not. I have had friends do that, but we should try I don't. It. Yeah, I'd be interested to find out. I've heard that it can be quite hoppy. <laughs> uh, it could be, could be. Now, let's talk about the various styles of beer. We talked about the lager, and that primarily, if I'm not mistaken, the lager is really, uh, it's, is that top fermented or bottom fermented? Bottom fermented. Bottom fermented. It has to be cold mm. Distilled, is it, or brewed, or what's well, the, the, the terminology? Well, the environment for the lager yeast to survive. The yeast, okay. It, it needs to and thrive is usually a little bit colder than ambient temperature. Now, the, I, I don't want to confuse people, but I, it's pretty clear when you describe it to a, uh, somebody that there's a big difference between ale and lager. Those are yeasts. 
So you can have a, a, an ale that's very light in color, and you can have a lager that's very dark in color. It's the yeast that is, creates the characteristic. So to basically describe what bottom fermentation does is it... Uh, it has a high degree of attenuation, right? So when you're in fermentation, the yeast is up and suspended in the beer. Uh, even when it's ice cold, it's active. And it's engaged in thoroughly fermenting every sugar that it can. And when all the simple sugars are fermented, it cre like the human body does, it creates an amylase enzyme, which breaks down all the starches. So right. what happens is at the end of a four or five week period, uh, you have something that is absolute and crisp. And it cannot be replicated by ale production. And this is why lager became such a fantastic product for the world. So ale uses a yeast that is top fermenting. Yes. And when we talk about ale, many people think a little bit more flavor, sometimes more hoppiness. Many people familiar with India Pale Ale. And there's an interesting history there where they didn't have refrigeration when many of the Brits were going over to India. So what do they do in their ships? They basically used a top fermenting uh, they fermented using the yeast on the top, and consequently, it traveled well in a warmer environment. You hit the nail right on the head, and that was a product of the London Brewers Guild. And uh, several brewers, they got together. They said, our beer's going bad. By the time it gets to India, how do we fix it? Well, we start with a larger gravity, meaning we add a lot of grain, a lot of grain. We want a lot of alcohol in the beer. Right. And then we add a lot of hops because we want to preserve the beer. The oils and hops preserve the beer. So the more hops you have, the longer the beer will last. So at the end of the day, if you imagine, um, they were in, over in Bombay for many, many decades. And all those soldiers that went over there, they got used to drinking IPA, no matter how bitter it was. And when they got back home to their hometown, they said, we don't want the British Miles. We don't want those. We want IPA. And that's kind of how it got on the map. Now, of course, American brewers take it to a completely different level, right. which is so American. That's why I love it. IPA, double IPA, yeah. triple IPA, <laughs> quadruple. They, they want to just bombard it. And what's interesting is I think that I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, the number one produced style of craft brewers in the country now is an IPA. There's, I, I, would, I don't have the facts in front of me, but I would say it would be a safe bet to say that if you walk into any brewery in any town, small town USA, that they have at least one to two or three or more IPAs on tap. Plus, also, it was easier, and I know I've talked to a lot of microbrewers and craft brewers. They said, you know, we'd love to do lagers, but it requires more time. Correct. Whereas with an ale, it's, what, a couple of weeks? That's right. And boom, you can get it right out the door, and it's a lot easier, whereas you're talking a lager, would you say, five weeks? It can be uh, four to six to eight weeks, depending on the uh, gravity of the beer and what type of yeast you use. And you need the chilling... Well, it's fermenting, so it's a totally different, uh, different, different process. But we've seen an explosion in these craft beers, and I look at it like cigars. We had many of the larger manufacturers, and a number of years ago, a lot of the boutique manufacturers said, we're going to do something different. Instead of doing a mild to medium cigar, we're going to do more full. We're going to do maybe more Maduro. We're going to do more of a rich, more of a spicy cigar. And put a lot of those boutique cigars on the map, boutique manufacturers on the map. And now, of course, they're going, saying, okay, well, we were so successful there. We'll create some medium body blends and some milder body blends. But it's very, very similar. And we've seen an explosion, whereas at one time, people wanted a Bud, Coors, uh, where I'm from in Buffalo, Labatt's or Molson, very, very big Canadian beer in the Northeast. Now we're seeing 
craft brewers spring up everywhere, every city. When I was up in Buffalo, there's Umpteen Hamburg Brewing, one of the great ones. The Russos have done a great job. They didn't exist uh, 10 years ago. And now we're seeing more and more of them come in, and they're doing some very unique styles that the big guys have not been able to emulate. So what do they do? They go and try to buy the craft brewers. And in some cases, they've left them alone. But you know what happens with the larger companies. They're all geniuses. They're all MBAs from, from Yale and Harvard. They can do everything better, and then they take it, and they screw it up. It's, I've seen that happen quite a lot, but I've also seen success stories of mergers, and I've seen success stories. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would measure the success uh, of those type of operations as what, what do they do after, after they merge or after they're bought out? How, how, how do they keep their product quality? And in some cases, their product quality can dramatically improve. Right, because they ask us to more capital, more they can buy hops and they can buy the raw ingredients in bigger bulk and get better deals. Canning technology, engineering, uh, you go to a different regional brewery that has a much better water source, you have better distribution. There's many other uh, 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 points that could counterpoint that one. But I could also say the, the seed of innovation always starts with one person with one idea. And that you can do that in a small-scale brewery where the stakes aren't as high. When you walk up, um, when you walk up into a large-scale brewery, you can imagine the many tens of thousands of dollars in revenue that goes into a single batch of beer. So when you know that that happens, those people that go up on that stand are. They're, they're not going to wake up and smoke a joint in the morning and say, what kind of hops do I have? Let me throw right. that in there and see right. what happens. They're going to be like, all right, well, let's, this is very serious business. So I guess, uh, you know, there, there are so many different ways to look at it. I love this brewery scene here in Tampa. There's so many innovators. It's just stunning, the different beer and styles. And really across the country. and Because yes. we have listeners across the world, and I will guarantee you that not just in the United States, but in Canada, in Europe, in, in Australia, in Asia, I would guarantee that there are craft brewers in every region of the world, and many of them do offer tours, or they have a tasting room where you can go in, sample various beers, do flights of various beers. And speaking of styles, we talked about lager, we talked about an ale, India Pale Ale. Let's talk about stouts and porters. A lot of people are intimidated. They see that it's very dark almost looks like an espresso, just like people that may look at a cigar with a dark wrapper saying, oh, that's going to be so full, I, I'm going to stay away from that. Not the case. Stouts and porters are actually very tame. Oh, my goodness, yes. I can't tell you how many times at Eulalie that I see somebody and I, I bring them you know, my, my anniversary Irish nitro stout, and they look at me and they say, wow, this is 7.5% alcohol? I don't know. You know, a typical uh, Pilsner might be 45 or 5%. Um, but then again, you say, like we did at our wonderful beer dinner, we, we just think outside the box. And you say, well, how about uh, giving it a shot? And uh, you, you, you send them off a sample, and next thing you know, they have, you know, they have stout tribute rooms in their house because they absolutely love it. And uh, the same thing goes with you know, just compelling the guest to say, okay, here's something new. You're going to try something new on a plate. Why don't you try something new in a glass? And uh, the again, this I'll come back to it. The seed of the true seed of innovation occurs there because uh, you live or die by what happens that uh, on the table. So if it's not selling and people aren't happy with it, then you move on to something else. Do you do flights of beer at Ulele where people can get maybe four or five different? Styles? I do I do flights on request, but I, I actually 
try to compel people to order the full pint because you really get the sense of a beer after the second or third draw. I've got so much beer, if somebody doesn't like the first taste, I'll just say, try something different. But yes, we will offer samples, and if people ask for a flight, we'll offer a flight of every beer that we have. But the best experience is to say, okay, well, you're being served charbroiled oysters that are freshly shucked, uh, you know, with the Parmesan and the garlic and the Ramon. I've got this wonderful uh, barrel-aged beer. We're going to pair it, and you got to try it the full pour because only when you get into it. Right that you're really going to enjoy. Just like with a cigar, a lot of times you don't taste that the true beauty of the flavor until you're more than halfway through the stick. It's the same thing with a beer, in my opinion. Now, we talked about ales. We talked about lagers, porters, and stouts. Let's talk about lambic or uh, the Belgian type of style. Funky farmhouse all the way, baby. <laughs> and that's that's more of lambic is what? Is it a little bit uh, more? Is that a pilsner? No, Lambic is, uh, Lambic, you know, it's, it's like a symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast. Okay. Right? It's not. Doesn't uh, sound so appetizing. It's, well, it's, <laughs> it's like this. Uh, you're, it's kind of wild. It's kind of funky, right? It takes a long time, you know, it, a lot of time to age on wood. You have uh, the introduction of bacteria. Uh, Britannomyces lambicus comes to mind. Pediococcus, and these are uh, bacteria that assist the cerevisiae, which is traditional beer yeast, in the consumption of the sugars. And in return, they offer to a, a lambic beer with the introduction of fruit uh, a funky farmhouse flavor, which is very, it can be tart, it can be sour, it can be delicate. It could be bold. It could be expressive. So there's no one style. It just could be in a range. Now, when we talk about wheat beers, that tends to be more on the smooth side, very tame. Well, a lot of that has to do with the wheat malt. See, most wheat beers on the market are ales. I have a wheat lager on tap at Ulele, which is kind of unique. Most brewers like to make wheat ales. I like... I like to celebrate the crispness of the lager. So, but with uh, wheat, it's a soft, delicate malt. Right, and it's such a great platform beer. You can in, infuse a wheat beer with many different flavors. You know, fresh fruit, that kind of thing. Anything comes to mind. There's so many possibilities. Most of the fruited blended beers are start out with a wheat base. Let's talk about pilsner very quickly. What's a pilsner? Well, pilsner was a style that was invented uh, in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia. So there is a, uh, the citizens of Pilsen were not very happy with the product quality of their beer at one time. So they recruited the best people in the world, which were Bavarian brewers, to come into their region to design and build a new beer. So uh, this gentleman came in, um, and his last name was Zell, and he came into uh, Pilsen. And he determined that, of course, he brought with him the Weinstefaner yeast, which is the original lager yeast. It was isolated in Bavaria hundreds of years ago. And um, he brought that yeast with him. He instantly improved the quality of the beer. But he also did another thing. And, it, of course, this is the seed of German brewing innovation. It started right there. It's almost like the beer origin story. He came in and he realized that the malt was, they were, they were using open fire pits to to toast the malt, and it created an off flavor. So he went back to his uh, house, and he designed the world's very first indirect fire kiln. 
And that's what created this delicate little toast to the malt that they harvested from the fields. And then, of course, the combination of the local hops. But the most important thing is the softness of the water supply. All of a sudden, he created this cold fermented thing of beauty called a Pilsner beer, and it just launched this revolution. Now, of course, almost 70% of the entire world beer supply is Pilsner. Right. right. And uh, there's a reason for that. It was stunning. It was stunning in its uh, breadth and scope at that time. All right, Tim Shackton, the brewmaster at Eulalie in the Cigar City of Tampa, our special guest as we will be conducting Cigar Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers on today's edition of the Cigar Dave Show. We have 17 beers, if we get through them all, that we will sample. Maybe we'll get through all of them. Maybe we'll get through some of them. The nice thing is it's not about how many. It's about enjoyment. It's about quality. And we've got great beers that we will sample. But first, around the corner, we will conduct the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Had to pick a special cigar for Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers, and Tommy D here at the Davidoff Store and Lounge in the Cigar City, as soon as I walked in, said, General, here is the cigar I want you to smoke today on Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers. And he said, by the way, here's the first beer I want you to sample. And they're both from the Dominican Republic, ironically. So a nice match. This is the Davidoff Dominicana. An island of flavor far off the coast of ordinary. Very unique cigar, very limited cigar. And as Eddie Guerra, the brand manager of Davidoff, told me, he said, General, the Davidoff Dominicana is not a cigar you taste. It's a cigar you feel. You feel the local artisans, the local musicians, just the, the vibrancy of the Dominican Republic. Everything about this cigar basically is, about the cigar is epitomized of the various people and the flavors and the just attitudes of the Dominican Republic. He said it's a carnival of flavors with great aromas of fresh spices dancing with dried fruits. So I said, Eddie... 
If you say so, I'll give it a try. And, of course, Tommy had them ready. Very, very limited. When they're gone, they are gone. And, again, inspired by the vibrancy of the people of the Dominican Republic, their art, their music, their soil. And they have created a cigar as rich as the life on the island. So let's tell you about the construction, the cigar architecture. The wrapper is a Dominican hybrid 257 wrapper. A lot of flavor. The binder is a hybrid 151 from Ecuador. Now the filler is very interesting. Uses, let's see, one, two, three, four, five fillers from the Dominican Republic. A San Vicente Visus. A San Vicente Mejorado Seco. A Piloto Visus. Dominican Corojo 99 Seco and Yamasa Visus, love that Yamasa tobacco, all from the Dominican Republic. So you're going to get some very unique tasting notes on here. Some spice, some woodiness, some dark chocolate, a little creaminess, maybe a little peppery note uh, to it. Now, Tim, you've already been smoking that cigar. You didn't wait for me. Oh, what do you my think goodness. so far? How do you enjoy that? I'm, I'm crying tears of joy over this thing. It's absolutely beautiful. It is sexy. It is sexy indeed. Beautiful construction has a very small Cuban pigtail at the end that you can see, but just an elegant way. Now, I've got the Robusto. It comes in three sizes, a short Robusto, a Robusto, and a Toro. The Robusto is, I would say, about five inches in length with a, about a 52 ring gauge. It's five and an eighth by 52. Very nice cigar. Suggested retail. These aren't cheap. Twenty-one fifty, but very, very limited. Has a secondary band in gold and white on the foot that says 2014 from the vintage of tobaccos that are used. I will remove that, and I am ready to uh, just thoroughly enjoy this Davidoff Dominicana. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine in hand, ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, let me adjust the flame. Oh, man, does that thing come out. Holy <laughs> mackerel. He's got... These guys were not kidding when they told me, be very careful of this litation device. They call it, uh, this is the welder's torch version 2.0, and now I know why. i got to be careful on this thing. This thing has got some massive fire. Holy mackerel, that's like a fire breather. A Marine gotta, could use it as I'm, a weapon. I'm telling you, you got to be very, very careful, and I will be. <laughs> but again, these cigar they've already, they said, listen, the nice thing is, it lights your cigar and it also kills the enemies of pleasure and the commies. Amen. So if you ever need to take this into battle, General, <laughs> they'll think you've got a cigar lighter. Oh, no, it's much more than that. Believe me. I'm like, okay, well, now I've seen the proof. So we we will be very, very careful conducting litation on my Davidoff Dominicana. Cigar, cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two. One. Perfect cut just above the shoulders. Now I gotta be very careful with this like holy mackerel. Jesus, these these I gotta tell you, these guys with the pocket protectors that you know conduct litation experimentation 24-7. I mean gotta be gotta be really careful on this thing. Alright, here we go. Let's keep tone it down just a little bit. Alright. Don't put this anywhere near your body or your face. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Alright, I'm gonna gently toast the foot of this cigar. All right, gently toasting the foot of this Davidoff Dominicana. Beautiful dark wrapper on here. I mean, just fantastic. Again, the 
Now, the complexion of this particular cigar, you're talking about seven different types of tobacco, starting with the hybrid Dominican 257 wrapper, hybrid 151 Ecuadorian binder, and again, five different types of Dominican. Let me puff and rotate. Oh, yeah. Beautiful draw. So this is a Dominican, not a Dominican Puro, because it has the Ecuadorian binder. But it's pretty close. It's 95% Dominican. And getting some spice right off the bat. Blow on the foot of the cigar, needs one little touch up. I'll blow out, let it sit for just a few seconds. Nice aroma. Mm. Take a puff. Very nice. Very rich right off the bat. Very woody, almost getting a nice spice right on the palate. And I'm sure as we smoke this down to down along the way, we're going to get some various different tasting notes. But this is definitely, I would say, a medium, medium plus cigar, maybe even slightly full. This is definitely not for a novice connoisseur, but if you like a lot of flavor and you're going to be enjoying. Some, I'll tell you, this would go with a stout. This would go beautifully with a nice IPA. If you look at some uh, whiskeys and you want a smoky type of Irish or Scotch uh, whiskey, I would say that would go very nicely. Anything that's going to be on the richer side, you can't go wrong. So, very nice. My Davidoff Dominicana is mm, officially lit. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, it is only appropriate if we have a Dominican cigar that we have a Dominican beer. So, Tim, you have poured me a small glass of Presidente Pilsner-style beer that is brewed in the Dominican Republic. Interesting story. In 1929... An American industrialist by the name of Charles H. Wanzer founded a brewery and started brewing the iconic Dominican beer Presidente in 1935. The beer was named in honor of then-Dominican President Rafael Leonidas Trujillo. Initially launched as a dark beer, but in the 1960s, Presidente was transformed in the Pilsner that is recognized today. In 19, and this is here's what's interesting, that the brewery in 1986 was purchased by the Dominican Cigarette and Cigar Company, Group, Grupo Leon Jimenez. Leon Jimenez Cigars, very good cigars. The original manufacturer down in the Dominican Republic, they owned that for many, many years. And in 2012, Anheuser-Busch's InBev Brazilian unit, MBEV, bought a controlling stake from Grupo Leon Jimenez for $1.2 billion, forming the biggest uh, beverage company in the Caribbean. And it's very popular in South Florida, in many parts of the United States, certainly in Florida, many parts of the United States. So, Tim, we'll say cheers. Cheers. And again, Pilsner. Let's take a taste. Very light in color, very mild. To me, this tastes almost like a light lager, but it's a Pilsner. Well, technically, Pilsner is a lager. It is a lager. Yes, sir. Okay. It's made with the lager yeast. It's cold fermented. Very nice. Again, this is smooth. I think this goes with a mild-bodied cigar, medium, 
even full. Not a lot of hoppiness. This is 5% alcohol by volume. On the IBU, and that is the International Bitterness Units, I would say this is probably maybe a 25. What do you think? No, much less. Much less? Yes, I'd say maybe five or seven. No, very, more than that. No. Really? Wow. Mm. It might be more hoppy, uh, but remember, this is produced in a, a different region, and when it ships, it might lose a little right. bit of its hop luster. But it's very delicately hopped. Now, let's talk about IBUs, International Bitterness Units. Standard measurement. To me, the the higher the IBU, the more hoppy it is. Am I wrong? Correct. I'm correct. Yes, okay. sir. Yeah, like uh, Tampa-style IPA, a classic uh, case of Tampa IPA would be High Life. High Life by Cigar City is usually clocks in like around 72 to 75 IBUs. I have a, a Tampa IPA at Ulele called Green Cannonball. It's 75 IBUs. That's big. That's major. Yes. I mean, major, 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 75. Now, uh, most of the uh, American lagers clock in, you know, 7 to 12 IBUs. Then you've got uh, beers like that are uh, European. The, uh, those Pilsners tend to be a little 25 and uh, maybe not much more than 30. And uh, so you're going to get a little bit more assertive bitterness with a beer like Heineken, right, than you would with a beer like Budweiser. Well, it's a very pleasant beer. I, I, mean, I enjoyed I, it. And the I Dominican, you know, have certainly uh, enjoyed it when I've been down there. It's a very popular beer, obviously. It's probably the number one selling beer down there, but very, very pleasant. And overall, you know, I don't think you could go wrong. If you want something that's going to be on the light side, correct, mild, mild, medium, certainly the Presidente. So, again, very nice notes of, I think, to me, it's almost got, even though there's not wheat, but it's got that weediness with very light hops and just pleasant all the way. Can't go wrong. Light grain on the palate, yep. yes. Yep. All right. It's very pleasurable. So one down, Tim, 16 to go. So when we come back, next up we're going to go to the area where I was uh, born and lived for many uh, years. Not necessarily the Utica area. That's kind of in the Mohawk Valley, but it's part of New York State, certainly upstate New York. So when we come back, we'll start our big tasting with Utica Club Pilsner Lager. And there's an interesting story behind Utica Club, and I'm going to relay a little Utica Club experience from my collegiate days at Syracuse when we continue. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. 
The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Beer number two for our Cigar Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers comes to us from Utica, from upstate New York, the Utica Club Pilsner Lager. Now, here's an interesting fact about Utica Club. It was the first beer to be sold the night Prohibition ended in 1933. A premium Pilsner Lager made from what they say the finest natural ingredients it is a timeless classic celebrating more than 70 years in the pantheon of great American beers. The first beer license for sale at the end of Prohibition and became a legend among beer lovers. It is brewed at the Saranac Brewery in Utica. And again, I'm looking at this, and as a kid, I remember seeing this the old-style Utica Club kind of reminds you of some of those beers in Milwaukee, that the lettering back from, like, the 50s and the gold 60s. Can. Yeah, gold can brewed, it says, from the best quality malt, grains, and choices. Hops, absolutely pure. And, again, just has that, uh, that old-style look. So, Tim, I'll have you open that up, and I'm sure that is going to be Pilsner Lager. Similar to what we just had with Presidente, so it's probably going to be. And put this in this one right here, Tim. That's fine. Fantastic. That's good. Again, very light color to it, almost a golden color. Now on the nose. Wow, definitely getting some nice, almost sweetness, a bread sweetness. Correct. I got definitely got a sweet malt. Yeah. Uh, aromatic. Let's say cheers. Cheers. Utica Club Pilsner Lager. It says XX Pure. Now, if it was triple X, then we'd really have to, you know, put a disclaimer. But right now, it's just double X. Here we go. Bright, flavorful, notes of sweetness. It's more body than yeah. the Presidente. Right. It has... Uh, Refreshing. Yes, it's, it's more brilliant. And uh, it has a malt sweetness. That is yeah. delicate. It's delicate. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's good. Very, very pleasant. Now, here's what's interesting. Really a little story. Saranac Brewery at one time was, I believe, Matt's Brewing. And when I was a student at Syracuse from 1982 to 1986, or as our good friend, the great Colonel Lange would say, 1982 to 1986, the big popular beer in college at the time was known as the Matt's Beer Ball. It was this giant plexiglass ball that maybe had two gallons of beer, maybe a gallon, I don't know. But you'd basically buy this ball, you'd give like a $5 deposit, and then you'd return it, and you'd get the $5 deposit back, and it would have Matt's Beer. And... To say that, you know, it was, we didn't know much back then. I mean, basically, I was not the connoisseur that I am today. But, uh, you know, it was a very popular beer at the time. And, again, it was from upstate New York. And I'm actually looking. I've got a picture I've just pulled up here. Wait a minute. i got to show this to you. Right. There you go. There you go. The, the, uh, the <laughs> All-American Pastime Beer Ball. We Holy got it. You at, uh, no, we've got it. Ask for it. There it is. It's this beer ball. Sergeant Steve, take a look at that. 
Okay, and it's a draft beer. It's basically a draft beer, and it's almost like you have a mini keg, and everybody, we'd be going up at our door with this giant ball, okay? And it was, a, I don't know how, how big it was, but it would come in this box, and you could put ice in it, and that was huge at the time. Matt's beer ball. It was the life of every party that is back during my collegiate days. I don't know whatever happened to them, but it was the FX Matt Brewing Company in Utica. <laughs> they introduced the world's first Beer ball, a plastic container for draft beer, huge from the late 70s to the mid-90s. Okay, it was a little more than five gallons of draft beer. That's a lot. That was a lot. But you know what's amazing? On those Saturday nights at Syracuse, it didn't seem like it was a lot because everybody went. I think we probably went through one of those. Now, there was probably, you know, 10 guys, 12 people, whatever. However many people, we'd have a little party. But it always had plenty of beer for everybody, and it was just a very unique. And, of course, one of us, we'd always take turns because one of us had to be the schmuck that would have to carry the thing back and, you know, get the $5 deposit back or whatever it was. You know, and you'd see us walking through campus with this beer ball, right? You know, because one of the stores, I don't know, was maybe like six, eight blocks away. So it was definitely very big back at the time. Now, not so much. But FX Matt became Saranac Brewing. And rivals Coors and Genesee, also from upstate New York, Genesee Beer, they, they added it. And in the 80s, the beer ball craze had swept the nation. So how do you like that? You know, five gallons, that's like 35 or 40 beers, depending on how you pour it. Uh, we went through right? it every Saturday. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it was not, uh, not an issue. We, we went through you know, that without a problem. And it's interesting because I'm just looking at um, Saranac's website right now, and you know, they are now, they've got various beers. They've got Utica Club, obviously, is big. But they've got uh, their Oktoberfest IPA. They've got their Black Forest. They do a package called the 12 Beers of Oktoberfest. Let me take a look at their story here very quickly. Okay, family tradition. Still in Utica. The FX Matt Brewing Company, only brewery in America to have three dis uh, district tours in craft beer. So they've got Utica Club, they got the Saranac brand, they started in the mid-80s, and their founder, FX Matt, I mean literally the letter F and the letter X, was making craft beers pre-prohibition, including his West End IPA, in 1914. Wow. Which is incredible. So it goes back to Francis Xavier Matt, who came to the U.S. from Germany, 19 years old, went to work for Carl Bierbauer's Columbia Brewery, and kind of the rest is history. So let's take a look at some of their beers that they have. Uh, again, in the fall, they've got their 88 Oktoberfest. They've got their pumpkin ale. In the summer, they do their Lil Hazy Ale. They've got, in the summer, their blonde, Blueberry Blonde. So, and the Clouded Dream IPA, which we will have Correct. later yep. today, which is... That's a strong beer, 6.8% uh, alcohol by volume, 43 IBUs. They also have a soda line, and that might have been developed during Prohibition, if I'm not mistaken. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so next up, uh, we've got, we had the Utica Club, and let me take another sip of that. I enjoyed it. Mm. Great, water, nice. uh, great water quality in New York State. Phenomenal. The yeah. I will say this. Growing <sighs> up in Buffalo, we never had bottled water, ever. The water in upstate New York is so clean. In Florida, it's got almost a sandy grit to it, not up in upstate New York. 
And my cousins lived on Grand Island. And they had the water that tasted, I'm telling you, tasted sweet. Yep. I don't know where they got their water from, but whatever they did to it, it was just incredible. So when you look at upstate New York, Utica, Albany, even in New York City, much of their water comes from upstate New York. Definitely different than what we see down south. So we never had bottled water. Growing up, I mean, when I first moved to Florida, I'm like, bottled water? Now, mm-hmm. of course, everywhere in the country has bottled water. But back then, we drank it right out of the tap. And you know what's amazing? We all survived. Yes. We didn't, we didn't need plastic. We, we filled up. If we had a jug, we filled it right up from the tap. We had water fountain water. It was tasty and delicious. There's a softness to New York water. Totally. 100%. We didn't need any uh, water softeners growing up. We never had a water softener in the house. Down in, in Tampa here, you know. Correct. You have a water softener, yep. you can forget it. It's like bathing in Iron water. It's, it's, it's horrible. pretty hard water. Yeah. It is absolutely <laughs> horrible. All right, now next up, Trooper Sun and Steel. Now, this is one of your favorites, Tim. So let's talk about this because uh, I believe this comes to us from the U.K., from Robinson's Brewing. Mick the Brit must be thrilled right now. Well, I got to tell you, I don't typically shop by label, but uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I am a huge Iron Maiden fan. Like, uh, I loved the idea of uh, Bruce Dinkinson in his 60s jumping up and down on a stage in front of 100,000 people screaming like a 20-year-old kid, and I just love their music. So when they came out with the, uh, their Trooper beers, I was uh, enthusiastic about it, but this is a new release from the brewery, and uh, it is a, a sake lager. So it's interesting, uh, perhaps by saying sake, it's a double fermented pilsner. and uh, it, Infused with Japanese sake. Mm-hmm. So it has sake-like Sake notes. yeast. Yep. This is the sixth beer from uh, Bruce Dinkinson and Robinson's Brewery, and the project was over two years in the making. And he's the uh, vocalist for the group Iron Maiden. Oh, my goodness, is he? He is absolutely incredible, the whole band. So I'm, if you don't mind, I'd like to open Open it up. All right, absolutely. Fantastic. All right, right. let me pour that out. Stand by. There we go. We'll pour that. All right. Now, again, looking at this, a little bit more of a reddish gold, but still very, very light. And, again, this has the aroma is interesting. Again, kind of a bready type of aroma. Tommy Diadio, Tommy D, the senior executive vice president of the Davidoff uh, Store and Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa and the Corona Cigar Stores in Orlando, has just joined us. Let's pour a glass for Tommy D. This is the Iron Maiden and Robinson's Brewery beer that called Sun and Steel that is infused with Japanese wow. sake yeast. Iron Maiden. Yeah, let's Back to say my, cheers. Uh, my days of uh, heavy metal. There you go. Mmm. And it has Eddie on the on the key. I know, I see that. Yeah. Eddie in a samurai outfit, which is pretty cool. They just released a new album called Senjutsu. Wow. And it's amazing. The ten of the tracks and like eight of them are like ten minutes long. They now, are just un, un, not embarrassed at all. It's just beautiful. Now this has a distinct <laughs> hoppiness, mm-hmm. not overly powering, but balanced towards the back of the, yeah. of the mouth. Yeah. On the tongue. A little bit of I, sharpness. I don't think it's very hoppy. Do you? No. No, but I, I, I said it has a little. Oh, it's yeah, very a, subtle, a little but bit, it yeah. definitely has hoppiness. Yeah. I would say IBU, what do you think? Maybe this is 15, 20? 
Closer to 20, and I think that this sake presence uh, would tend to subdue it a little bit. Yeah. And it actually tempers it. 4.8% alcohol by volume. It is a lager. Mm. And double fermented Pilsner with sake yeast. It's very clean. A very, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I would mm-hmm. say. This is a clean, crisp mm-hmm. beer. Yeah. That's very it in a nutshell. Very summer uh, outside. Summer, yep. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting because... Again, it's not overpowering, but it has a lot of taste to it. Yeah, or, or year round in Florida because it's. Mm. <laughs> well, for those of us, for those are of our alphas and lieutenants that are listening around the world, you know, if you are going in in the southern hemisphere right now, you're going into summer. This would be a very nice uh, choice on this. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, their 330 milliliter bottle, I think, is about 25 bucks. Uh, I don't. What did you pay for that? Do you remember? That's the can. Oh, uh, the one pint can. It can't have been too expensive. They, they, uh, it can't have been three or four dollars. Okay. Right? Yeah, it was not expensive at the bottle shop. Interesting. Well, take a few. Pu- By the way, Tommy, nice selection. When I walked the in, Minicana. you said, "General, you got to have the Davidoff Dominicana," and I'll tell you, very nice cigar, mm-hmm. very flavorful, mm. very pleasant. I'll tell you, this hybrid two fifty seven Dominican wrapper, very nice. A lot of flavor to this particular cigar, and I like what when uh, Eddie Guerra told me. He said, basically, it is not a cigar that you taste general. It's a cigar you feel, mm-hmm. and I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Very nice. And by the way, Tommy, I think when they're gone, they're gone, right? <laughs> I just, when people ask, but I just, I like, it's Fight Club. Let's not talk about it. Well, <laughs> it, it, if you want them, buy them. No, they're it's not. not it, it, they basically put a cigar out. First time I've ever seen them put out a cigar out, and you couldn't get it. Really? The shipments, they didn't make enough. People overordered, and they split a little bit out to everybody. They didn't – the whole thing was I, – I, I don't I, – I, I'm just over it. Hey, I don't Tommy, even, I bet you I could get some if I needed some. You probably could. <laughs> <laughs> and you could too, I'm sure. There's no doubt about it. This is very pleasant. This is very, very yeah. nice. Again, limited release, but it's not a Dominican Puro because nope. it does have – the Ecuadorian it's a binder, right? hybrid binder. But the five filler blend from the Dominican is very nice. Yeah. This is, I'll tell you, growing to, you know this, Tommy, growing a wrapper in the Dominican is not no, easy. It's tough. It's tough. It's expensive. It's, the yields can be an issue. Mm-hmm. And they can be, but it's typically known for being a fuller yeah. flavored wrapper. I think uh, they've gotten better. They've, oh, yeah, they, totally. What it was was the workers were so uh, rough. And just walking through there, they would damage it. And I think they've gotten a little bit better that, they're more uh, they, when you train them, and they're more careful. I think I think it's gotten better. It basically was just you can't just trench through the fields; it just banging into it just damages it for wrapper. Well, the construction on this is great. Beautiful yeah. draw. It's got the little pigtail yep. on the end. Very nice. The Davidoff Dominicana. If you're looking for a nice medium plus lightly full-bodied cigar, I think on a one to ten scale, I give it about a seven in terms I'll tell of. You, tell you that little tiny one. You smoked a little. There's a little. Petite robust yeah, exactly. One, that one's a powerhouse. It's is like it? a nine. Is it really? Yeah, that's strong. So on a scale of one to ten, this is about a seven, seven mm-hmm. and a half, but very nice, not overpowering, just a really pleasant cigar. And as I've gone along, the flavor notes have certainly changed. Now, let's go to a beer that my good buddies at the Tank Brewery, the Placencia family, Placencia family. who are the, probably the foremost growers of cigar tobaccos in Central America, make wow. millions and millions of cigar. This is the Tank Loca. I was down there, oh, I don't know, maybe last summer. That's a new one, right? 
Yeah, and it's a low-calorie wow. tropical blonde ale. 94 calories, 2.8 grams of carbs in a 12-ounce can. Nice thin can, crafted in Miami, not far from Doral, the airport. And they say it's Miami's original low-calorie craft beer. And I will tell you, this is a very bright beer. So, Tim, I'll have you open that up. All right. And they make some fantastic beers. I think, don't you sell... Freedom Tower here? Uh, in the other stores we do. Out here, it's tough because Cigar City is right around the corner for me. That's right. Yep. So I really don't sell a lot of craft beers here because when you look at this whiskey bar, would you want to drink beer here? Yeah, that's true. You do have tons. you got tons <laughs> of everything. But I'll tell you, this is a low-calorie tropical blonde ale. For malts, they use Pilsner, Vienna, Crystal Caramel, unmalted oats. The yeast is co-fermentation with two different fruit-forward ale strains. All right, Tim, I'm getting into your technical... <clears throat> Ability here. So what they're doing is they're taking an ale yeast, which typically uh, ferments at room temperature, which is 68 to 72 degrees, and they're probably bumping the temperature down a little bit uh, just to where the yeast is active, which is, and my guess would be closer to 62 or 60, and uh, they're offering a to mimic what uh, lager might do. Well, and it's the character hops they use are Blanc and Grüngeist which I'm sure that rings a bell with you. Now, it says original gravity 1.028, final gravity 0.999. What does that mean? That means it's pretty thoroughly fermented. I mean, it's, there's not a single little ounce of sugar left in this thing. And, uh, of course, you see it's hazy. It's, uh, the haze is because does have of, haze. Yeah, that's because of the flaked oats. The oats uh, have a lot of proteins. I'm getting sweet citrus on the nose. We'll say cheers. Cheers. I got the hops on the nose for sure. Mm. Oh, this is tropical, fruity, bright, not hoppy. 4.2% alcohol by volume. IBU is 5. Mm. Very, very pleasant. What do you think, Tommy? It's, this is very. This is really good. Yeah, Refreshing. Ryan's enjoying yeah. this. Yeah, that nice? This yeah, is very nicely done citru- for a low So before I leave, of course, Carlos Padron, who kind of oversees the business end of the brewery, said, General, did you fly or drive? And I said, no, I drove this time. He goes, okay, good, hold on a second. And they come out with two pallets of (laughs) beer, of everything. He's like, well, I put like four or six packs of everything. Even though if you need more, just let me know. This way you can drive it back, and I did. And this has been in my refrigerator for almost a year. Mm. That's great. The hops really are driving the flavor of this beer. They, uh, you know, with, with such a minimal gravity... It's hard to bring a malt suggestion, so the hop addition is very critical, and they, they do it right. Perfect with a Connecticut-wrapped cigar, Ecuadorian Connecticut, mild to medium, Rocky Patel Vintage 99. I would say an Avo Classic would be great. Uh, Romeo y Julieta Reserva Real, can't go wrong with any of those. This gets my five-star designation. This is very smooth, very pleasant, and again, a whole can we say 94 calories. Can't go wrong with that. I've got to take another sip of this. It's so good. Mm. This tastes like tropical Miami to me mm-hmm. and Tampa. Fantastic. All right. So next up, Tim, we're going to move from <coughs> one tropical fruity beer to a very unique fruity beer from Collective Arts Brewery. This is the Collective Arts Rainbow Sherbet Sour. This is a seasonal beer. So, Tim, how did you discover this beer? Well, 
<laughs> Got to be a great story. You probably oh. just like the I, – I, I, you know what? I would pick that because I like the color of the can. The color of the can's unique. It does. It looks a little bit like it's got that red sherbet color. And um, I'm really a big fan of fruited beers, especially sours. When you sour a beer that's infused with fruit, it tends to expand the yeah. palate expression. <clears throat> we got a guy out here that does um, – his name's Ed Valenti. He does – you ever hear of him? Mm-hmm. He does the uh, cherry cheesecake beer with yeah. the graham crackers in it. <laughs> that was just like yeah. sinful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different flavor combinations and possibilities, especially with sours. But this says it's with raspberry, pineapple, key lime, and orange puree. Now, I've never tried it before. It's five and a half, seven. It's five point seven percent alcohol, and uh, this it, is now this is brewed in Hamilton, at Collective Arts Hamilton Brewery. So it is Canadian, eh? Their tap room is still open every day for in-store curbside pickup, but under Ontario government stay-at-home order, they you can't basically sit there and drink it, you know, in the tap room. But they are on Burlington Street East. So for those of you that live in western New York or southern Ontario. In fact, i got to tell my buddy, uh, my buddies Barry Zaychik and Lowell Richter, who are big shots up in Hamilton, if I like this, they're going to have to ship some of this down to me. So let's give it a try. Uh, listen to that sound. Cool, refreshing. Yeah. And sometimes the best beers, you look at the can or you like the name, give it a try. Yeah. Now looking at this, this looks like almost a grapefruit mango color. Almost looks like a fruit juice. Yeah, yeah. When you look at it, very hazy. Wow. Fruity nose. Total fruit. I mean, it's got that Raspberries. Sherbet. Yeah. Key lime. Hey, that's mm. a sour, Say right? cheers. All right, cheers here it goes. to you guys. Wow, that's definitely a sour. Oh, boy. Woo. Yeah. Wow. Fruitiness <clears throat> with a yeah. lot of that. It's like Sa- the sour patch a gets. sweet tart. Times like a hundred. Oh, the Sour Patch Kids with all the little sour, the little sour Patch Kids. Well, I love it. It does taste like rainbow sherbet. Yeah, it That's does. Sour it, with the yeah, sour with on sour the on it. And it's interesting because they've got some very unique beers. Let me give you some of their names. They're Guava Ghosts. They've got a Mai Tai inspired by the flavors of the classic tropical cocktail. The Mai Tai Sour is brewed with. Curacao orange peel, wow. lime juice, real orgeat syrup. Interesting. <laughs> They've got matter-of-fact blonde ale. Let's see. They've got um, surround sound azaka, which is uh, an azaka hop that they use. They've got the very jam up the sour or jam up the mash, life in the cloud. They got some really wild. Oh, here's one. Sergeant Steve, you and I were like, radio the mothership. Talk about an interesting name, Radio the Mother. It's fruity, bitter hops, berry, mango, peach, a wonderful interplay between the earthy bitterness, the nuanced fruity berry character, and the piney, funky, tropical depth. I'm wondering Isn't if... Isn't that a uh, retro brand now? Yeah, it's a retro brand. I'm, I'm thinking what worries me is that if uh, any of the larger companies, uh, you know, iHeart or Cumulus or uh, Odyssey, if any of them get their hands on it, they're going to screw it up. So keep them away. Yes, Don't let please. them touch the beer. They screwed up the radio industry. They'll screw up the yeah. they got some really interesting collaborations. And that's what's interesting is that a lot of these craft breweries have said, we're going to do things very unique, like Funky Buddha Brewery. Yeah. They do some unique expressions. Here, this one, Collective Arts in Hamilton. Some really, really cool 
beers. This is good. This brewer is very talented mm-hmm. because uh, it it's easy to do a one-dimensional sour with one individual fruit. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you're t- this guy uh, or young lady, whoever it is, the brewer there is taking a multiple a combination of fruits, souring it. <clears throat> And creating the effect, uh, trying to mimic the effect of a flavor of something that is not a beer. So that's probably take, took a lot of research and a lot of experimentation. And it truly does taste like a rainbow sherbet. It, it, and, of course, with the sour note at the end. And the sour is natural. It's not, it's not a process-driven sour. Like, they, they didn't just add lactic acid to this. Um, and uh, it, it's very well done. I, I really enjoy it. Pack full of key lime. That's what I'm getting. The key lime with pineapple. Orange raspberry. Strikes the perfect balance between fruity sweetness and sour tartness. Uh, 5.7% alcohol by volume. I don't know what the IBUs are. It's deceiving because of that sourness. Well, it's like typically uh, when you sour a beer, you don't want to aggressively hop it, especially if it's naturally yeah. soured. I'll tell you, fruity. Really tastes like sherbet in your mouth with about 100 sweet tarts at the end mm. to cap it off. I like this beer. Great with a cigar. Yeah. I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll, I'll give this a five-star designation. Yeah. Because it's so it. unique. It's so, now, Tim, would you try brewing something like this ever? Yeah. We, we've done sours before. Um, I, I tend to stick to lambics, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a, a couple uh, things in the works right now as from our sour department. But yes, yes, we'll, we've experimented with sours under many circumstances. And it is a big, big style in Tampa right now. I would put this in a <coughs> cognac snifter with a cigar. Perfect after dinner. It's so unique. Pour it over some rainbow sherbet. Yeah, this is not <laughs> the kind of beer that, you know, you down straight up. But it's a sipping beer. Not my favorite. Not your favorite. No, but it's very unique. I know. Of course. Sorry. Of course. But listen, it is a very unique beer, and I'm going to give it a five-star designation. Not for everybody, but it does have a very, very nice taste. Now, let's go to more of a traditional Oktoberfest beer. Let us go to Deutschland. Let us go to the Hafbräu in München. And sample the Hafbräu October Feisterbier. Yeah, an homage to the Weissen. So, this particular beer, Tim, is available mid-July to the end of September. Bottom fermented. 6.3% alcohol by volume. Hop varieties. Hercules, 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 Hercules. <laughs> I'm sure it's pronounced differently. Maybe Hercules. <laughs> Pearl Magnum Select. The wort, it says 13.7% weight percentage. Mm-hmm. The brewing method is infusion. Malts, light barley malt, Munich malt. 23 on the IBU scale. Color is fine, shiny, strong, golden hue. Here's what it says for taste. Supple, soft. Full-bodied, palatable, with a slightly sweet finish. I can just hear Rocky Patel saying, "This beer is supple. It's soft. It's full-bodied. <laughs> it's palatable. It has a nice, slightly sweet finish. It pairs well with pork, with light snacks, roast chicken, white radishes, hard cheese. You're gonna love it. The color is fine. It's shiny, strong, golden hue. Is that about right, oh, Tommy? Yeah. That's I Rocky. think I hit him. I hit him right on the head. All right, so let's go ahead and let me dump this." 
And let's sample that up. So this is going to be on a October Feiste beer. This is a Weizen, so let's talk about mm. the type of beer this would be. So uh, Hofbrau is one of the original Munich breweries. And uh, the Oktoberfest style is uh, unique to that celebration, uh, that original marriage of the Crown Prince Ludwig to <coughs> Princess Teresa back in 1810. So I don't know if this particular recipe dates that far back. It could. Nice deep golden color, nice head, foamy head mm. on the top. Love the nose. Very Say German. cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, the nose definitely has got that, almost that yeasty mm. type of there's, aroma. There's malt there on the nose, malt too. Malt, too, yep. Yeah. Take a sip. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Mm. Definitely, you can taste the hoppiness on the IBUs, 23. So it uses four different styles of hops. With light barley malt, Munich malt, so it, it's 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 a very, to me, a soft beer, but with that a, a bit of hoppiness on the back, but not overpowering. It's hoppy like a if if people who uh, don't experiment a lot, it's hoppy a little bit like Heineken. It's got some of that European mm -hmm. flavor, right? Yeah, very Heineken esque, if you will. But unlike Heineken, it has a little bit of that uh, kiss of malt yeah. sweetness. Mm -hmm. It's very well balanced. I, I love uh, the head retention. I love the aroma. I love the clarity. Technical term, alphas and lieutenants, mm -hmm. head retention. i got to <laughs> use that in my discussion. So next time I'm out drinking a beer, I'm, I'll say, nice beer. I enjoy the very fine head retention. Mm -hmm. I think I could use that in some other subjects as well. Mm -hmm. But, okay. uh, <laughs> but very, that, So head retention means that the foaminess stays on the top. Correct. And it also, you can look at the side of the glass and you see the white foam sticking to the side. That's called Belgian lace. Belgian lace. I like yeah. that. And uh, this is a high-quality beer. It's Reinheitsgebot all the way. Which means? It's brewed according to the European uh, beer standard. Now, of course, the original standard was April 23rd of 1516 in Bavaria. <coughs> but they, uh, in 1993, the European Union updated it, and it became the European beer standard of 1993. So it's malt, hops, yeast, and water That's exclusively. It. Yeah. So they can't do flavored beers like, for example, the Collective Arts Rainbow Sherbet Sour. They wouldn't be able to do that. By law, they can't. By law, they can't. And originally, it was meant to protect the market and the pricing and all sorts of things. But ultimately, as the centuries have come by, it ended up producing some of the world's finest beers, no doubt. Well, now you know why we won World War II, because we have much more creativity, and that's why we're beating them in the, in the product they invented. When you think about it here Amen in the United States. Amen to that, brother. I think American beers are, are bar none the best in the world. Absolutely. I tend to agree. And I like the fact that there is experimentation and there is uniqueness. And we're doing things that uh, in Europe they just don't do. It's kind of vanilla over there. But on the other hand, if you think about it, in, in, from my perspective in the brewery, if you have that self-discipline and that controlled environment, you end up creating a world unto your own. And to celebrate the purity of the product and the uh, wonderful flavor of natural malt and hops, yeah. you know. So there's there's definitely two sides to the coin. I respect uh, the Reinheitsgebot immensely, and some of my beers uh, brewed at Ulele are Reinheitsgebot. But at the same time, boy, what an amazing innovation the world of craft beer is, especially here in Tampa. No doubt about it. All right, so, Tim, we have sampled the Presidente. The Utica Club Pilsner Lager, 
The Trooper Sun and Steel, the Tank Loca Tropical Blonde Ale, the Collective Arts Rainbow Sherbet Sour from Canada, eh? Yeah. And from Deutschland, from Germany, from the land that my canine companion, Pendragon's <laughs> Royal Baron, traces his roots to Deutschland, the Hafbau Oktoberfeister beer. Now, next up, when we return, Tim, we're going to feature one of your fine beers, the Ulele Weekend Weiss, as Cigar Oktoberfest Tasting Maneuvers continues front and center on the Cigar Dave Shaw. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. Next up, we'll be sampling the Ulele Weekend Vice that our special guest, Brewmaster Tim Shankton, is responsible for. But before we do that, let me remind you that if you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, you absolutely should join because if you were a member you would be enjoying this month's selection, the Alec Bradley Collection, featuring an Alec Bradley Prensado, an Alec Bradley Magic Toast, and the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro. Three fantastic cigars. The Prensado is a box-pressed beauty blended with a proprietary estate-grown Corojo from the Trojes region of Honduras. Just an exquisite cigar. It screams super premium. The Alec Bradley Magic Toast. Interesting story behind that cigar. It was born when Alec Bradley founder Alan Rubin was inspecting cigar tobaccos in the field by flashlight under the stars. While in Honduras, he saw the tobacco and, and just... Smoked a sample, thought it was fantastic. He broke out a bottle of special whiskey, proposed a toast to the future cigar, medium-bodied, buttery smooth, and lastly, but not least, the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro. One of my favorite sticks. Doesn't break the bank, but it oozes with sultry flavor and smoothness, draped in a dark, rich, oily San Andrean Maduro wrapper that surrounds Brazilian and Nicaraguan Tobaccos, Project 40 Maduro, a delight to fire up any time of day or night. September, we feature the La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo. Beautiful cigars. In fact, Tim, I brought you one of those. I brought you the, uh, the Officers Club selection to enjoy. You'll love that cigar. 
Can't wait to light it up. It's beautiful. I mean, you'll be tantalized with a broad array of flavors, including cream, cedar, spice, cocoa, cinnamon, subtle hints of sweetness, starting off with that beautiful Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. Now, how do you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club? Very, very simple. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you three premium cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch. Now, I will tell you that prices are going up. January 1 for everybody. So even if you join today, it's $22.95 for November, for December, going to $24.95. First price increase we've had, I believe, in, I want to say maybe 8 to 10 years. We've kept it as low as we can. The problem is that, as you know, Bidenflation, everywhere you look around, massive inflation. Postage and, and, and materials and you name it, shipping, everything has gone through the roof. So we're going to keep it at $24.95. We hope we can keep it there. I always felt I want to give all of our Officers Club members great value. So no matter what you pay, you always look and say, man, I ripped the general off. Look at our August selection. We featured the Casa Torrent 1880. Four cigars you got. Normally it's three, but Alejandro Torrent's a general. I want all your members to have four cigars. $75 suggested retail. You pay $22.95 per month or $22.95 for it, you rip me off. But that's okay. Because I want you to say, man, I get my money's worth every penny. It is worth it. So go to cigardave.com, click on Officers Club. All the frequently asked questions are there. Membership is month to month. And uh, very simple. Sign up and you can enjoy great cigars such as the October 2021 selection of the Alec Bradley collection cigardave.com click on officers club tim next up we've got your ulele weekend vice tell me about this particular brushki well the a weekend vice is a classic hefeweizen and i call it weekend vice because what is your weekend vice golf no cigars yes, yes. <laughs> beer yes beer football yes, yes. <laughs> dames yes so grilling yes the classic hefeweizen is made with the wheat lager, uh, wheat ale yeast, okay. and it is fifty uh, percent of the grain billing is wheat malt. Now, as I look at this, it's got a little bit of haze to it. It's mm-hmm. a deeper, darker gold. It's very deep and dark. Mm-hmm. Now on the on the nose, you got bananas, cloves. Yeah, fruity sweetness. <laughs> say cheers. Cheers. Happy cigar and Oktoberfest. Yeah, down the hatch, as they say. Now, banana. Oh, that's nice. Fruity, tasty, refreshing. Now, the the yeast drives a banana clove-like aromatic in a spicy palate. Uh, the malt suggestion is somewhat soft because of the winter white wheat malts. And because wheat malt is a huskless grain, it creates a protein haze. So it tends not to be absolutely crystal clear for my thanksgiving turkey tim i need you to save me a bottle i'll tell you why i'm going to inject my bird with this eulalie weekend vice (laughs) no seriously yeah before i put it put put it in the fryer because it's going to give it some nice juiciness it's got that nice it's subtle but it just instead of using jack daniels and and uh, apple cider vinegar i'm going to use this absolutely perfect come on by i'll pour you a growler Mm. It's a great. This is pleasant. I mean, IBUs what, ten, seven? Yeah, closer to seventeen. Actually. Really? Yeah. It's so smooth 
yeah. that you don't get any bitterness. I'm getting a lot of nice sweetness and fruitiness. The malt uh, plays a role. It, primarily the yeast is the driving force behind this beer. Wow. And the great thing about the Hefeweizen is such a great culinary beer. Just like you were on spot when you were talking about uh, infusing your turkey with it, yeah. you can use this Hefeweizen. It'll command this minimalist presence at the table, and it's going to bring anything on the table just a little bit closer to you. You know, for desserts, put it in your pie. Mm-hmm. If you want, if, I, I can see this in a number of cooking scenarios to add just a little bit of sweetness and uh, moistiness mm-hmm. to anything. Beautiful. Now, this is limited to a certain time of year? Correct. I do it once a year. That's it. Uh, that's a, a, yeah, and usually uh, it's around this time of year. Okay. And um, sometimes I roll that out in the summertime, boy, though. You know? Perfect for summer. Yeah. Perfect. It's, uh, when the, when the I vote for summer, too. I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to give you my vote. I would say, I, especially in the hot Florida summers. Mm-hmm. This is so refreshing and fruity. Be great any time of day. And I'm going to take you up on getting a growler because I will definitely inject my bird with this. Hard to believe we're already talking about Thanksgiving. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I have one ready for you. I know where to find you, Tim. <laughs> I do, I, this, by the way, gets one of my five-star designations, this Uleli Weekend Vice. If you, you bottle this, you'd sell this like crazy coast to coast. That, <laughs> I, I can guarantee. That. I can guarantee. Very, very nice. In fact, I'm, going to, I'm not going to pitch this one because I'm going to keep that. i use another glass here. Next up, we're going to go back up to upstate New York to Utica. Saranac Brewery's Clouded Dream IPA, soft, hazy, Juicy. Let me do the honors here. One, two, three. And I got splashed right in the noggin. That's okay. There we go. We'll pour that. Thank you. And by the way, I like the, this has got a nice turquoise summery color. It's an India Pale Ale. 6.8% alcohol by volume. Now, I'm not going to tell you the IBUs. I'm going to let you guess, Tim. Mm -hmm. But looking at this, first of all, I'm getting a ton. I'm getting lemon zest on here right off the bat. Hop driven. Yeah, very lemony right on the on the nose. Let's say cheers. Cheers. All right. Mm. Oh, this is nice. It's a nice IPA. It's hazy, baby. Hazy. It is hazy, but it uses Citra Mosaic Galaxy hops. They're added twice during dry hopping. Mm-hmm. They use a special fruity ale yeast. Body of the beer is softer, more drinkable than a typical legacy type IPA. They wanted the beer to appeal to the IPA drinker and people who normally say they don't like IPAs. I'll tell you what, I'm getting some notes of citrus for sure. Passion fruit, gooseberry. Yeah. Almost a little mangoey pineapple. Very nice. Citra. Citra gives you that nice citrus taste. And uh, the galaxy is definitely present. This is very nicely done. Yeah. Where does citra come from? Uh, the Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Because I know that Hamburg Brewing, they had the uh, the Buffalo Bills-themed beer a little bit lager now mm. that we, we sampled uh, early on this month to start Cigar Oktoberfest, and those Citra hops gave it a real noticeable citrus taste. Citra, Mosaic, Galaxy. Yeah. This is uh, hazy mm. beer 101 for most American brewers. They love those hops, especially... Dry hopping, you have the oils that are present in the hop that infuse that flavor. It's the essence of the soil of the region that the hop grew in. And uh, it just, 
It can mimic so many different palate expressions. And with a hazy IPA, you just don't know. There's a myriad of flavors. You could taste one person could taste one thing, one person could taste another. And uh, that's the beauty of the style. It originated in New, in New England. In All right. Small what do there. you guess the IBUs, the International Bitterness Units, on this? Let me take a sip. I'm enjoying this okay. entirely too much. It is much really right good. Now. My guess would be high 30s. 43, close. Very close. 43. Nice. But again, it doesn't have that overly bitter. You know, that real hoppy bitterness to it. It's very pleasant. This Saranac uh, Cloud of Dream IPA. They, uh, you know, when you, nice. dry, when you dry hop, you don't cook the, be- uh, the hops into the beer. So when you don't cook the hops into the beer, you, you don't contribute bitterness. Yeah. You know, so that's why p- uh, brewers love to dry hop. I dry hop a lot. And I just love the color, the, the packaging, just the look, the beer all the way around. It is fantastic. Now. Let us move to the Stone Brewing Stone Hazy IPA. And let's talk about them very quickly here before we get ready as you get everything ready. Let me dump this over here. Okay, so we'll put that. Founded by Greg Cook, Steve Wagner in 1996, San Marcos, California in 1996. They wanted to create amazing, flavorful beers and provide an alternate choice for those unsatisfied with the industrialized beers dominating the market at the time. And they said it, you know, didn't happen overnight. 25 years they've been brewing beers. And the annual production is 400. It says BBLs. Is that barrels? Barrels. Barrels. Okay. Uh, So that was when they first started. That's a very, very small amount. Very, very small amount when they first started. Let's take a look. Let's, let me advance to where we are today. Many, many times over. So they started with 400, and let's see what they are right now. The many latest, thousands. Many oh, thousands. Oh, got to be. All right. Now, let's see. Well, they wouldn't. Uh, the last number they put was 2020, 347,000 barrels. From I'm not 400 surprised. to 347,000. That is absolutely amazing. And this particular beer is the Stone Hazy IPA, available nationwide. It has a funky-looking uh, can to it. Definitely very psychedelic, let's put it that way. <laughs> very uh, California. Very California, reds, <laughs> purples, yellows. So let's give it a try. Let's open that bad boy up. 6.7% alcohol by volume. And it was released originally August 26th of this year. El Dorado. Azaka and Sabro hops. Looking at, boy, talk about major head retention. This Great is, head. got it, yeah. Mm. Wow, major fruit and citrus on the nose. Take another sip here. Balance. Lots of balance. Ooh, nice. Very in, smooth. In the pantheon of American craft brewers, Stone deserves its own little statue. They have a wonderful collection of IPAs. They're one of the very best brewers in the country. Wow, this beer smooth. is f- phenomenal. Yeah, very smooth. 35 IBUs, but very smooth. Not overly hoppy. That stone hazy IPA, it is very hazy. There's an earthiness um, amongst the hop presence there on the palate. Yeah, and that subtle fruitiness. Very, yeah, and it's very, very nice. delightful. Got to give this a five-star. Re- I'll tell you, I think both Saranac and Stone Hazy could get the five-star. 
They're close, but I think the Stone Hazy edges it out just a tad, so we'll give it a five-star designation. So, Tim, next we move to your Eulalie Dry Fall. Tell us about this. Well, I, I, a dry fall is a dry-hopped fall beer. That's exactly what the name implies. It starts out as a blend of Munich and Vienna malt. It's cold fermented, and it's dry hopped with Galaxy Haas, but it's not dry hopped like the hazy IPAs that we've consumed up to this point. I uh, dry hop it as if you were to put a tablespoon of vanilla in two or three gallons of soup. You're not necessarily going to get vanilla, but you're going to accentuate all the other right. ingredients. You're going to get toasty, malty, crisp. You're going to get stone fruit, citrus. You're going to get a lot of different things, but it's quite sessionable, too. All right. Sessionable. I like that. Another technical. Now, looking at this, this is a deep rosado color, a reddish, definitely a reddish brown. Munich malt. Munich malt. Vienna. Wow. Vienna malt drives the toastiness. Wow. Now, on the nose, it's very subtle. It's muted. Mm -hmm. Not overly powerful. We'll say cheers. Cheers. And we'll take a sip. Wow. That's got some serious personality to it. I didn't want it to be like an IPA. No, but it's not I didn't at all. want it to be like an Oktoberfest. Who wants to sell Oktoberfest beer in November, right? Now, even though it's dark, <laughs> yeah, right. Even though it's dark, it, it's very smooth. People may look at it and say, ooh, that's going to be a super powerful beer. It's not. It's cold fermented. Mm. So, again, the uh, introduction of the Vienna malt, it tends to balance the sweetness of the, Mun of the Munich malt. And then uh, about uh, four days into cold storage, I just come in with a bunch of Australian Galaxy hops, and I just boom, right in the top of a 500-gallon fermenter. I drop them in, and that uh, uh, infuses all those oils, and it just provides a sense of citrus and balance to the, to the beer. Now, let me ask you. I would say IBUs. I'm going to take a guess. 23. Close. Uh, it clocks in almost uh, exactly at 20, so that's a good guess. My palate is developing, mm -hmm. Tim. Pretty very, soon I yes. could be a brewmaster. I mean, tw 23, I said, 20. You're but good. Very nice. I mean, this is just, again, looking at this, this almost looks like a whiskey. It goes great in a, a, a barrel, too, if you have a wine barrel or a whiskey barrel. Yeah, um, it, it tends to really do well, uh, especially cold barrel aging. Now, I know you told me you have done bourbon barrel beers. Oh, yes. Okay. So if we put this in a bourbon barrel, mm -hmm. how long would you put it in for? Most cases, uh, if it's a virgin fill, meaning that there's still bourbon floating around in the yep. empty barrel and nothing ever has been in it, it usually just takes several weeks four to eight weeks until it's ready to drink. Of course, it depends on the body and the gravity of the beer. You want some, it, with a virgin fill, you're going to want something substantial like an amber ale or a stout. But I think this would be great if you put it, that would just give it a, just a nice, subtle note of that bourbon, and that would really accentuate it. I have an empty burning chair bourbon barrel mm. that I might just fill. You, well, if you're you put, motivating me right if now. If you put that in... You must call me because I will come in when you go to test it. I will be there. You'll have to be my master tester. I can, can do you that. Do that, General. I'm fully five stars. I'm fully qualified for a multitude of subjects. Listen, and if you need an expert on head retention, call me. I'm your guy. 
All right, let's move along to now. This is a really unique looking beer, unique name for a brewery, Clown Shoes Brewery. Their pecan pie porter, as they say in the south. Honey, would you like some pecan pie porter? This is really unique. First of all, let's talk about the brewery. Founded in 2009, when their founder and CEO, Greg Berman, brewed a small batch of Hoppy Feet Black IPA with Ipswich Ale Brewing, the offering well-received around Boston. He decided that he wanted to get into some other traditional beers, and they started production from about 700 barrels going to 1,500. And then in 2011, they began distribution outside of Massachusetts. And they joined in 2017 employee-owned Massachusetts Bay Brewing Company to expand and grow. And so they've got some very unique expressions. And certainly the Pecan Porter is one of them, 88 or 8.8% alcohol by volume. They use Simcoe hops with some specialty ingredients. Pecan pie natural flavor, lactose, black malt, IBU 16, a seasonal favorite. Did you have you sampled this beer before? You just I have not, but I'm a fan of the brewery. My lovely bride is uh, from the Boston area, so I go up there quite often and I'm able to uh, enjoy a lot of different uh, breweries and a lot of different beers. And this one caught my eye. I've never had it before, so let's get to it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's open that bad boy up. Again, very unique-looking can. And it says, Genghis Pecan rules with an iron fist. Genghis Pecan. I like that. Now, this looks like I'm about to drink, like, super dark espresso. I mean, this thing, talk about a porter. This is like looking at... Dark chocolate right off the bat. Massive head on here. I'm not getting a lot of notes of anything. Not a big nose on it. No, nothing at all. But let's say cheers. We've got to give it a try. Pecan pie porter. i got to try to get through that foaminess at the top. Big head on here. Mm. Roasted chocolate. Yep. Chocolate. I'm not getting a lot of pecan. Mm -mm. But I'm getting a ton of dark chocolate. A lot of chocolate. I mean, that, this is, if I were to give you one, two words, dark chocolate. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it's it. like a chocolate bomb. You open yeah. up a, a, a European chocolate, take the foil off, bit into it. Very, I mean, IBUs is 16, so it's very subtle. Um, a little bit, I thought there would be more, a little bit more complexity to it. Yes. It's pretty straightforward. It's just dark chocolate, and that's it. I agree. I don't think it's a poorly made beer at all, but I think no. it's a beer that probably would be better represented in the tap room on site at the brewery. Once you package a beer like this and you start going fluffy with a lot of different flavors that are non-traditional, um, and of course, remember, it shipped all the way from Boston, right? So it might have affected. It, it, in other words, the true intent of the brewer not, might not necessarily be represented in this sampling. Yeah, to me, I would if they called it, Dark chocolate porter, that would hit it right on the on the mark. But this is really, I thought with pecan pie, I'm going to get a lot of complexity, unique flavors. Maybe it's a little just, more sweetness because there is lactose in it. But yeah. uh, it is definitely a good cigar beer. All right. We're gonna, now we're going to stay up in Boston. Samuel Adams Winter Lager. I spent a day up at Samuel Adams a number of years ago. 
about five years ago and uh, talked to one of their brewers and sampled many beers. Interesting story there and publicly traded. Definitely a growth story. So their winter lager, I mean, basically is pretty much your basic lager. And their version, though, is spiced with cinnamon, ginger, orange peel for a deep flavor, malty finish to warm you up on a cold night. And they have refined it a little bit to make it more crisper and a little bit brighter. It uses Samuel Adams two-row pale malt blend, caramel 60, malted wheat, carafa, and Munich 10 on the malts. For hops, they use Hilartu, Middlefroy, and Spalt, Spalter, Noble hops with some cinnamon, ginger, and orange peel. Very traditional hops. Yep. Cold fermented. Say and cheers. Great. Also, be deep dark red. Take a sip. Spicy nose. Oh, yeah. This is smooth. I mean, mm. dark ruby color. Very pleasant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dark. Definitely an indicating of the title, Winter Lager. It yeah. really tastes a little bit like winter. It does. It's not overpowering. On the IBUs, it's 22, but it tastes a lot less than that. 5.6% alcohol by volume. But overall, this is a very tame beer. That's what I would say. Very tame. Well, the one observation I make is that the spice is a, a, a predominant characteristic of the beer, but it doesn't dominate the palate. No, not and at it's all. A very, it's very sessionable. All right, now we're going to move to... A beer that I know is one of your favorites. It is the Samuel Smith Organic Chocolate Stout brewed at the Samuel Smith Old Brewery in Tadcaston, North Yorkshire, UK. And this is an interesting beer. It is brewed with well water, roasted organic chocolate malt, organic cocoa, and they impart a delicious, smooth, creamy character, deep flavors, delightful finish of luxurious chocolate. And by the way, it is registered with the Vegan Society. So if you are a vegan, which none of us are, thankfully, no problem. In fact, I would prefer if this were brewed with some sort of meat product in it. I would feel much better. <laughs> gelatin, gelatin. <laughs> now this, Tim, again, looking at this, this is like deep, dark espresso. I mean, this thing is super, super dark. Big foamy head on it. You better prepare yourself. Wow. Your now, I'm going to tell you, right on the aroma. Don't get too excited. Well, Don't get too excited. The aroma is like <laughs> the aroma is like Hershey chocolate right on the nose. It is phenomenal. All right. We'll say yeah, cheers. cheers. Here we go. Can't wait to get to this bad boy. This is the Samuel Smith's Organic oh, Chocolate Oh, my South. goodness gracious. Heaven's alive. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I mean, this is like drinking liquid chocolate. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is fantastic. I am irrationally exuberant about this beer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is. This doesn't taste like beer. This no. tastes like you are drinking liquid chocolate candy. You could pour this over an affogato, oh. some vanilla ice cream. Mm. Yes, let's, baby. Let's pour a little for Sergeant Steve. Sergeant yeah. Steve. Oops, hang on a second. Let me get that clean glass right there. There we go. There's a clean one. All right. Let me pour this. Be prepared to cry tears of joy. You gotta try that, Sergeant Steve. All right. We'll wait for. Wait for the it. Palate will kick into the palate. Wait for it. That is a Hershey's kiss. 
<laughs> no doubt about it. In fact, I think Sergeant Steve, for our hard to believe, we're already talking about our spark. Tommy, give, give let's get Tommy a little bit here. Taste that. Here, hold on. Taste Let me that. Let you out here. Yeah. One of my favorite. This would beers. be great. You know, we do a Hershey's Kiss for our New Year's sparkling wine and champagne taste. A drop of this. Do that some, instead of the Hershey Kiss. Exactly. Is you can't go wrong. Let me. So which one's this? This Samuel is Smith. Samuel Smith Organic Chocolate Stout from Samuel the UK. Samuel Smith, huh? I think not, it's not one related. Of the, not, a to, not what to the Granny Smith mm-mm, apples. No. <laughs> oh, not even close. I think this is one of the best beers in the market right now. Wow. Yeah. It's like we said. It's like drinking liquid yeah. Hershey's. Oh yeah. Chocolate. Dense chocolate flavor, malt-driven, organic malt. Yeah, you're getting that chocolate in there. Wow, Goodness. that is phenomenal. I mean, that is, it's not for everybody, but you got to give it a five-star selection yeah. because it is so unique. So the Samuel Smith's Organic Chocolate wow. Stout, again, not your good. typical beer. It's really, really in- impressive. Chocolate power. Oh, my goodness. It is just fantastic. And uh, let me tell you, you can smell and taste that chocolate a mile <clears throat> yeah. away. You can't go wrong. A I mean, nice roasted uh, a Maduro cigar. Yeah. With oh, it. my goodness. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Maduro. Now, Even yeah. the Dominican, the, the Davidoff Dominicana I've got. That oh, was yeah. perfect. Now, did you? Did we? I, I didn't try any of your beers you made. Oh, well, Sergeant. Well, I have to work sometimes. <laughs> I'm, after the organic chocolate Samuel Smith, I don't know. That's it's okay. It's wait, different. Give Palin yeah. Explosion Let's give here. Ulele Weekend Vice. Let me try the Weekend Vice. That, that was one of my five-star selections. Yeah. So we'll give you the Weekend Vice. And Tommy, you weren't working. We know you were, you know, you were fetching at somebody, some distributor, for not giving you enough. No, actually, whiskey. actually, we got some uh, cigars in from Orlando, and we got some Opus X in. So the Fuentes were good to us. They oh, sent there us you some go. Opus, okay, which is nice. Banana clove on the nose. Half of icing. What do you think? That's good. Right there. Yeah. Very nice. Tommy, let me tell you a quick story. I got a call this morning oh. from Jeff Borshowitz, who, as we it? know, the founder proprietor of the three. Corona Cigar Stores in Orlando, the Davidoff and Geneva Store and Lounge here in Tampa. And then one day, Sarasota. Sarasota. I'm, I'm waiting. So he says he had to go into True Value this morning to get, call me like 8.15, something to get fixed. So he goes in, and he had his, I think his Hummer, that basically yeah, yeah. Humvee that's got the Corona Cigar Wrap all he over He took it. the wrap off of it. Well, he had it on because there was Corona Cigars. He put the wrap back on it? He said, I haven't seen he it said, in a while. I don't know. He said he, he walked in, and the guy saw Corona Cigars, and he said, hey, you know Cigar Dave. I love that show. He goes, of course I do. Absolutely. He goes, that guy should run for president. <laughs> He'd have my vote. So the next question I, just, I said is, did he say Tommy D should be run for vice president? He said, no, he no. didn't mention Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> he might not have been a bourbon guy. But, Tommy, don't worry. You will be my secretary yeah. of state if yeah. I run, okay? Don't worry. But it was funny. He says, goes in, sees it. The guy's like, I love that guy. Listen to his show. Guy has my vote for president. I'm telling <laughs> Listen, anything would be better than the president uh-huh. we've got right now. Don't even get me started. All right. So we have sampled 13 great beers. We've scratched a few off our list. So. When we come back for our final and concluding segment of this Cigar Oktoberfest beer tasting edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we are going to go to Deutschland and enjoy the Schlenkerla Akt, Aklentala Riche. I hope I'm pronouncing <laughs> that correct because the, the, the print on it is so screwed up. And then we're going to try the waffle sauce maple Bacon, is it, was it the maple bacon brown ale? Let's, let's bring that out one more time. I want to make sure I've got it. 
This Imperial is Brown Ale. Imperial, the Rusty Nail Brewing, Rusty Rail Brewing, Waffle Sauce, in Maple Pecan, Imperial Brown Ale. If this is good enough, I'm putting it on my flapjacks. Put, put, it, in the, put it in the Waffle House. Uh, it could be. <laughs> it, exactly. It, that's it. Put it in the Waffle House. And then we'll wrap it up with the Eulalie Anniversary Nitro Stout as we wrap up Cigar Oktoberfest Tasting Maneuvers for 2021. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Last segment of our Cigar Oktoberfest tasting maneuvers. We have had way too much fun between enjoying this fantastic Davidoff Dominicana cigar. Nice, nice selection, by yeah. the way, Tommy. Good choice. And all the great beers that we have had sampled, including uh, several fantastic beers that Tim Shackton, our special brewmaster guest, has created, and we're going to wrap it up with one of his award-winning beers. But next up, we go to a beer that I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. This is from Schlenkerla in Deutschland in Germany. It is known for their smoke beer. In German language, it's called Eicht Schlenkerla Rachbier. Ratsbier, yes. Ratsbier. Smoked yeah. malt, smoked yes. malt. Yes, I'm sure if I asked Baron, my German shepherd, he'd know German fluently. He could tell us if we're pronouncing mm. it correctly. But a smoked beer, and in the middle of the old part of Bamberg, directly beneath the mighty cathedral, one can find the historic smoked beer brewery Schlinkerla. First mentioned as the House of the Blue Lion in 1405, the Schlinkerla is today run by the Trum family in the sixth generation and is the fountain of original Schlenkela smoke beer, O-S-S. So, Tim, let's do it. Let's Excellent. fire that bad boy up. Let's give it a try. Wait, let me just rinse. By the way, uh, I noticed, Tommy, that you've got the Avion plastic bottles. Didn't I you got my Saratoga back. I couldn't get water. water. There's been a big water shortage with CO2 and carbonation, too. So but now you've yeah. got it back, finally? Uh, I just got it back in, but I got to go through this. Because uh, I know, Tommy, you're very I, particular uh, on your water. Oh, Jeff is. Jeff's uh, Saratoga is made in America. It is made in America. Yes, that is we, correct. That's why he uh, Upstate New York. That is correct. Mm -hmm. You got that right. All right. So as we look wow. at this beer. That's got an interesting nose. Yeah. The, it's, got a, it's interesting. They're this is like smoked uh, meat right it's off. Like a, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Smoked. Their <laughs> best-selling uh, smoked beer is, is made with Beechwood smoked malt. Wow. But this particular beer is made with oak. 
so it has a different flavor. It's a uh, the beechwood tends to be more delicate. The this, aroma is yeah. that of Slim Jims. I mean, or, I'm, I'm, or, or like, are those almonds that are smoked? You know, the yeah, almonds exactly. It smells like right. that. All right, let's say cheers. Cheers. There we go. Down the hatch. Wow. Wow. It's yeah. like tasting beer and eating a Slim Jim at the same time. Or drinking a scotch from the island of Sky. No, this is That's different. Smoky. It's smoky, but it not is. like this kind of smoke. No, this to Sky me, is this not, to not me, before I go. But this to me that is a stuff. is a meaty smoky. I mean, this is like takes two very important I'll food groups. I'll bring Smokehead over here. You know, and beer. It, it's smoky, and so is wow. Dallasker. Delicious. Wow, this smoke, this is unique. Definitely a one-beer beer. Never, beer. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've oh, never yeah. had a beer like Definitely this ever. Definitely a one-drink. One, yeah. This one is very Schlenkerla, yeah. the historic smoke beer brewery. This is wow. very, very unique. <clears throat> That's wow. like crazy. Mm. I'm telling you, this is like eating a Slim Jim in liquid form. That's the best way I could describe it. A Slim Jim in liquid form or a smoked sausage in liquid form. Mm-hmm. It does. It does have a little bit of a sausage yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. connotation. I mean, I'll tell you, you bring out some smoked cheese, yes. and some smoked meats. You can have with this. You got a nice evening going on. <clears throat> wow, that Guinness. That Guinness uh, you bought from Whole Foods last year. That Guinness was it cheese. Yeah, the that cheese. Stuff was that's awesome. right. <laughs> that that's exactly right. Angel well, that, still looks for that. But wait a minute. That that was for. Um, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. That was so good. Exactly. I brought a whole thing of cheese, and within like two minutes, it was devoured. <laughs> you had to cut it was, more. It was gone. I had to cut more. I had to go get more. It was the more. chips, too, right? And, and the chips. Yeah. We had the special beer chips. Yes, yeah, beer chips. It was very, very good. Yeah. All right, so we've got two more left. Now, this is really unique. We, we, we're going from the Schlenkerla Brewery with their smoked beer now to the Imperial Brew, a rusty rail brewing. Let me see where they are located. Hang on, real quickly here. I don't know if it's oh Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, in the heart of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> rusty Rail Brewing Company. This is their Imperial Brown Ale. It's called Waffle Sauce Maple Pecan Imperial Brown Ale. I'm telling you, we are wrapping it up <laughs> with some seriously unique, tasty brews. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, wow, that, that sound. Listen to that sound. <laughs> this one sounds interesting, too. Waffle sauce, here we go. All right. It looks it's I'm brown. definitely getting the maple. It's brown. And I'm getting some brown sugar on the nose. It's clear. It's clear. It's got a good head. Big time head. i got to wait for the head to subside a little bit here yeah. because it is so <clears throat> deep. I want to get some nice I smell flavor. a little bit of maple in there. Yeah, a little bit. Not overpowering, but very no. subtle. It might not be able to be used at Waffle House. Let's now, see. this is 8.2% alcohol by volume, 26 IBU. The hop varieties, Glacier and Cascade. Here's the malt varieties. Maris Otter Pale Malt. Love that malt. Pale Two-Row. Caramel Crystal 120L. Carapils, Cara Brown Chocolate Malt. I've used all of them extensively in the brewery. <clears throat> wow. Well, let's say cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. All right. Take a sip. Not as maple, no. pecani waffle sauce as I thought it was going to be. No. I mean, I thought I was going to have Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Wait, is it Aunt Jemima anymore? I mean, it's not politically correct to say Aunt Jemima. What do they call it now, anyway? Oh, wait, hold on a second. 
Oh, wait, I got to find out the name because they changed Aunt Jemima. And was by it the way, Aunt Jemima or Mrs. Buttersworth? Which one did they, <laughs> they change? They changed both, I thought. I think I, I don't know, but Aunt Jemima to it's me like is Stone always Mill Aunt Jemima. Something Flower Company or something. Okay, wait a minute. Let's what see. What is that? Every remote we make. Pearl that's, Milling Company. That's it. Pearl, Pearl Mill. Milling. Pearl Milling Syrup. Now, let me ask you. <laughs> you go out for a, a brand that's been around for a hundred years and say, "Hey, I want some Aunt Jemima, please." Or are you going to say? Can you pass the Pearl Milling, please? Yeah. I'm sorry. Pearl Milling is the dumbest fucking name for a, for a <laughs> pancake sauce I have ever heard. And here's what their website says. We are committed to progress. This includes removing the image of Aunt Jemima and changing our name. Our new name is coming to shelves in 2021 with the same great recipe you know and love. I loved Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima, to me represented all things good about food. When, you, when I looked at Aunt Jemima, I saw a woman that probably loved her family, that loved food, that loved cooking. basically like cooking, cooking. And, 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 and people gathered around a table with all yeah. the love from her cooking. I'm sorry, pearl milling syrup does nothing. It doesn't get me hard. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> okay? Now, Aunt Jemima didn't either. But, the, but looking at Aunt Jemima... That, to me, is the... Now, that said, I wouldn't buy any of this syrup because it's all garbage to begin with. I want pure Vermont or New York State oh, yeah. or, or Quebec maple yeah. syrup. But nonetheless, when you think about maple syrup, Aunt Jemima, and the ancestors of Aunt Jemima are pissed because they said, hey, this is, you know, this is our family, and the character, the woman that it was named after was an ambassador, and people loved her. Yeah. And so, to me, this is the woke... Be a, go woke, go broke. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you right now, change their sales are going to go down because you've got some mm -hmm. corporate executive with no balls, no nads that say, oh, let's change it. And you know what's amazing? Not one black person or black group said, you need to change Aunt Jemima because it's derogatory. Not one. In fact, many blacks said, I think it's ridiculous that you're changing it because we love her. We love the, the syrup. We identify with that. We like the brand. I mean, it's like Uncle Ben's rice. They're going to change the name. Now, when I look at Uncle Ben, I'm like, I can trust that guy. I know he probably, you know, served great rice. Same thing with Aunt, Aunt Jemima was the kind of person you looked at the, at the character and you said, I wouldn't mind having breakfast with her at the table and, and, and enjoying a nice meal. To me, we have gone off the rails, off the deep end in this country with this woke bullshit. So now that that diatribe is done... The waffle sauce, going back to the Rusty Rail Brewing waffle sauce. Again, I'm not getting a lot of maple syrup on here. Yeah, I didn't mm. either. Another situation where the intent of the brewer yeah. at the tap room might not necessarily reflect in the can. Mm -hmm. And you, you remember, when you're processing a beer in a can and you're shipping it across the entire country, it changes its yeah. characteristic. Yeah. It happens Agreed. a lot. All right, last but not least. Is glass better for beer or, or cans? It dark, depends. Dark glass I'm talking about. It, it, it really <clears throat> depends. I could talk to you for hours yeah. upon that. But yeah. uh, really, if you're bottle conditioning, uh, glass is better. Yeah. If, you're, if you want a true representation direct from the tank uh, to the table, then uh, cans are better yeah. because they, they don't block. They, they block uh, ultraviolet, um, right. and it's a much cleaner seam 
And uh, uh, but really, there's an open debate amongst many brewers. I'm on both sides of the coin on that. It depends on what you're doing. If you take a barrel aged lambic and you put it in a bottle and you bottle condition it, it actually dramatically improves the quality. But if you're going to package a pilsner, you really should consider a can. Before we wrap it up with the Eulalie Anniversary Nitro Stout, another award-winning selection from Tim. Let me just remind you one more time, if you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, what the hell are you waiting for? You get three premium cigars shipped to you every month in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch. Fantastic cigars, including our October 2021 selection, which features the Alec Bradley collection. Three outstanding cigars that I know you will enjoy. And the reason I know that is because I personally enjoy these. And when I selected these with the folks from Alec Bradley, I said these are amongst my favorites. And I know that the Alec Bradley Prensado is a well-renowned box press cigar that you will enjoy. The Alec Bradley Magic Toast, nice medium-body, buttery, smooth cigar. And the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro a delightful cigar to fire up any time of day and night. Love the dark San Andreas Maduro wrapper surrounded by Brazilian and Nicaraguan tobaccos. One of my favorites. If you're not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, what are you waiting for? Go to CigarDave.com. $22.95 per month gets you three premium cigars. It is going up to $24.95 January 1. We have kept $22.95 as our price for at least, I want to say, 8 to 10 years but unfortunately, thanks to Biden inflation, we're getting whacked as well. And you get great value every month. For example, in August, the cigars you received worth 75 Biden bucks. Biden inflation. <laughs> These cigars worth well over 25 bucks, probably in the $34, $35 category. We always give you great value. That's right. It is Biden it's inflation. So where is the way it just flowed out? So but it sounds so right. I like it. But it's it true. It's amazing. It's true. I mean, if you look. I'm yes. going to take it from you and say it all the time. It, it just flows. It's Biden just perfect. Inflation. You know, I paid a buck sixty-nine, or maybe it was $1.99 the day that Biden, who was illeg- illegitimately elected, to pres- president, as we know, fraudulently elected, you suffer the consequences. A dollar ninety-nine for USDA prime brisket at Costco. I'm mm-hmm. paying four sixty-nine yes. right now. Yep. Okay, I'm paying almost two hundred and fifty percent higher. Gas prices. What are we paying? Sixty percent higher. Oh yeah. Seventy yeah. percent higher. It is abs- more eighty yeah. percent. And wait until people get their heating bills. Oh yeah, it's going to be natural gas. And oil. They yes, are guess going what? To get whacked. <laughs> They're not taxing the rich. They never do. And you know who gets right? It's a tax on the low class, yes. lower class, and the middle class. Okay. And the Wall Street guys, the top, top, oh, top, yeah. top, one tenth of one percenters. I just heard this last week. What is it? Blackstone or BlackRock? Yeah. In their forty-year history, largest quarter. Their quarter was the largest profit in their history. Why? Because they're borrowing at one and three quarter percent, and they're buying all sorts of shit, assets everywhere, paying one and three quarter percent, where if you go to get a loan from a bank, you're paying four and a half, five percent. Okay? So they're buying all this these assets, and every other American is getting screwed and yep. getting shafted. We it pay, baby. Tax, tax never. Got the it. rich never pay. Right. And meanwhile, he says, oh, and you know, we're going we're gonna to make they sure that. They were paying that, before. Right. And he says, well, now they say that 
by implementing, initially it was going to be $600. The IRS was going to get every transaction yeah. in a, you know, your bank accounts. Yeah. Now they said 10000 because there's $10 trillion of taxes that aren't reported. So all of a sudden, if I go out and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to renovate. I'm going to put a new outdoor grill uh, or new outdoor patio or I'm going to put a cigar lounge or fix up my house and I write a check for more than 10000 yeah. Now all of a sudden I'm going to be a criminal. Yeah. This is the problem. The Democrats, the liberals, the socialists, the Marxists are the enemies of America. And if you were dumb enough to vote for Biden because you said, well, gee, I didn't like Trump's tweets. How are you liking that decision right now, you dumbass schmucks? You're now <laughs> saying to yourself, what have I done? And I know about 10 people that told me that, that were all said, well, you know, we need more civility and Biden's going to bring it. I said, Biden is senile. He is going to go ultra hard left. She's, and now, wor she's worse. She's, she's worse. Close. She's close. Biden's approval rating amongst independents, 28%. Of course. 28%. That's the lowest in history, I think. Amongst, about right. <laughs> I think we it are is. And let me tell you, and I've been <clears throat> talking about this on the show for the last month. We are going to 1970s inflation. We have stagflation, yep. stagnant economy. Yep. Economy's not growing. Massive inflation. We have the Fed that is playing games mm -hmm. with ultra-low interest rates. Yeah. Jerome Powell wants to get renominated as the, as the head of the Fed, so he doesn't want to raise interest rates. Well, in the meantime, we are going to see massive inflation, mm -hmm. a stagnant economy, and so, consequently, we are going to be screwed. And the only way out of it is to raise interest rates. And when you do that, the housing market is going to crater. Yep. The stock market's going to crater. You are going to see the economy get into recession. And the only way you get out of it is out of stagflation is go through a recession, interest rates high, and then you come back out of it when things prices have tamed. Mm -hmm. And now when I hear this, this term transitory inflation, biggest load of poppycock I've ever heard. These are people that have never gone into a supermarket and shopped. The Jerome Powells, the Jen Psaki's, these people don't know what people are going through when they walk into a supermarket and they get shell-shocked. And I've seen it. I was in the supermarket last week. I watched people look, picking up a, a, a piece of meat, like a, 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 a container of <clears throat> yeah. meat or chicken. They look and they put it back. I did the... I, I, recently, my, my girlfriend started shopping. I used to shop. I had not been in the supermarket since, like, January. I went the other day to pick up a couple of things. She asked me a couple. Of, I could not believe when I looked at the price of meat. It's everything. Chicken, steak. Paper products. Everything. Everything it. I looked everything. at. Everything. Everything. It was, like, three times the amount of money it was before. I couldn't believe it. So, it so who's getting hurt? The ultra, ultra, one one-hundredth of one percent? No. <clears throat> it's the middle class. It's the working man, the blue-collar mm -hmm. worker that is getting shafted. And if you think the Democrats are the party of the working man, you better think again. Mm -hmm. If you don't vote for the MAGA, America First Republicans, I'm sorry. You're deserving all the shit that is coming your way. And I said, when Biden was illegitimately elected, I said it's going to take a year and you're going to see this country be burned to the studs, going to go right to shit. I was wrong. I admit when I'm wrong. It only took six months. Six months, and it's an absolute disaster. And when I see Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, who's a secretary, a cabinet-level secretary, who has the audacity to take eight weeks of paternity leave when he didn't push anything through a vagina, neither did his husband, Chaston. They didn't push anything. But now Pete Buttigieg, who is in a job that, I'm sorry, is a 24-7, 365-a-year 
365 a day at your job. Do you think the Secretary of Defense, if all of a sudden he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take eight weeks of paternity leave because my husband and I just adopted a child. Meanwhile, China's invading us and Russia's invading us and every enemy's invading us, but I'm sorry, i got to take my eight weeks. Give me a break. <coughs> it is a joke. This entire administration is a joke. Biden's a senile son of a bitch. The entire you name it, their cabinet are clueless morons. And I'm just getting warmed up. I see that. I'm just getting warmed <laughs> up. I mean, I'm not even at, at, at DEFCON 1 yet. Uh, no. I'm right now at DEFCON <clears throat> 4. Uh-huh. I mean, if I get to DEFCON 1, look the hell out. But this, I'm sorry, a cabinet secretary that goes AWOL for eight weeks while we got issues with ports all over the place, mm-hmm. backed up situations where we don't have truckers, I'm sorry. Did she get on the job. Did you see what he said? Well, the truckers need to work more hours. They can't. They can't. They don't of, have enough truckers. It's illegal. They have to log their hours. It's illegal. I will not say. How did he say that, Biden? Even, even though we are not politically <clears throat> correct on this show, I will not say. Let me, just, let me just rephrase something here for a second. Pete Buttigieg is mayor of a little shit town of South Bend, Indiana. I'm sorry. If you live in South Bend... Pardon me, but I'm sorry, you're not exactly a metropolis like Tampa or Miami or Chicago. It's a small town, any way you look at it. That son of a bitch couldn't even fill the potholes. But now, as Secretary of Commerce, he's running our transportation system and the ports and the the, uh, airports and everything else that had the highways that have to do with it. I won't tell you my very extremely politically incorrect statement I made prior to this show about Pete Buttigieg and the only thing, what highway he really knows. Because I don't want to be accused of being anti-gay. I don't give a shit what your sexual connotation is, your orientation. I don't care if you're multisexual, bisexual, quadrisexual. I don't care if you fuck goats like the Taliban. I don't give a shit. The only thing I care about is show up for your damn job. And as a cabinet secretary, you should. And by the way, Tommy, afterwards, I'll tell you exactly the only thing, the only highway that Pete Buttigieg has ever traveled, and I won't say it on this show because I don't want to hear the flack. But afterwards, I will let loose. By the way, the NFL can't come after me anyway. I got no emails with any of the NFL teams, so I am safe. Now, I don't know how we got on that tangent, (laughs) but in any event, that's why you don't. By inflation. By inflation. That's why you alphas and lieutenants love me because I tell, I go where, like William Shatner, where no man has gone before. I tell it like it is. And by the way, I don't want to go where Pete Buttigieg goes with his husband Chaston every night. That's what he wants to do? Fine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but not for me. Now, with that segment, let's, that seg, let's go to Tim. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. You know what? That'd be a great segment, you know, on Cigar Dave. Come on, man. Come on, Buddha Judge. Aye. Unbelievable. All right. Last up but not least, as I got on that tangent, the Eulalie Anniversary Nitro Stout. My understanding is, Tim, this could be award winning. Well, I was motivated by a trip to Ireland and um <clears throat> I got to the airport at Dublin, and I didn't want to come home. I love Irish stout, and I wanted to make a Tampa representation of Irish stout. So I thought about when we were building Eulalie, and every morning I would show up, and 
in the morning at our corporate office, below the corporate office is our test kitchen and pilot brewery. And the roosters would be cackling. And then the Naviera Mills across the street from the Columbia restaurant would open up their coffee roasters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you just had this stunning coffee <clears throat> aromatic from the roasters just permeate the neighborhood. And that's kind of what motivated me to make the uh, anniversary nitro stouts. So you're going to get a uh, roasted chocolate. You're going to get chocolate. So wait a minute. We, I'm trying to think about this for a second. We went from talking about stout to roosters. Mm-hmm. Cox, essentially. And then we're, talk- we're talking about Pete Buttigieg. I mean, it gets, like, comes full circle. What can I tell you? <laughs> All right, I got to behave myself. All right, so the notes I'm getting here, I'm getting some coffee. I'm getting some chocolate. Toffee. Toffee. Yep, let's say cheers. Cheers to you And again, guys. This, is, this looks like deep, dark espresso here. Oh, yeah. Now, this is what some of the other stouts chocolate stout should have been like because there's more complexity. I'm getting chocolate. I'm getting a little bit of uh, almost allspice in here. I'm definitely getting more of a complex flavor than just a plain chocolate. Well, unlike one of my favorite beers, that Samuel Smith stout that we just tasted, it's not, it's not as sweet. It has a little bit more balance. It's uh, almost a little bit more bitter. And uh, that bittersweet chocolate. Yeah. What, what, you know? What's the alcohol on it? Seven and a half. Okay. Seven and a half percent. This is hefty. <clears throat> yep, it's good. I like and it. This is fantastic. So I, uh, uh, with that beer dinner I was talking about earlier, we poured Which, by this. the way, Tommy, we weren't invited to. But anyway, go <laughs> ahead, Tim. Go ahead. We poured, uh, we poured the anniversary nitro stout over our Naviera espresso swirl ice cream in an affogato. Nice. And that was the, the cap to the evening. And uh, it's great as a standalone uh, pint at the table. And it, it works well with our roasted pork shank and our, our strip steak, of course. But uh, the affogato is the shining star of the evening. And, Tim, nitro beers have been, just the last two years, have been exploding in popularity. Nitrogen, instead of CO2, nitrogen, attends, uh, uh, it, it accentuates the malt. It extends the palate death of the malt. I don't know if you kind of get where I'm going with mm-hmm. that. Yep. If it were CO2, uh, that if, if I bottle conditioned this to CO2 or if I carbonated it with CO2, it would be dramatically different. So I love, I love um, when you can nitro dispense a beer like this and serve it at the table. Of course, it offers a, a much denser head typically in the glass. And... Um, when, when it's served at the table, it's just, a, it's just a thing of beauty. I love the anniversary. Well, I'll tell you what. We've sampled, I think, what, something like 14 beers, all very different, all very unique, all tasty. Great selection. We started off with the Presidente, and we wrapped up with the Ulele Anniversary Nitro Stout. Sergeant Steve will post a PDF of every one of our beer tastings today with our tasting notes and a picture. So go to CigarDave.com. And if you want to do your own tasting, you can take our PDF, print that out, bring it to your local beer store. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I certainly recommend... Were these all bought locally? Yes. Everything bought locally. And one of the things I recommend, if you know nothing about beer, and I've Mm -hmm. done this before, you can go to... There's a ton of stores now, craft beer stores, that will sell individual bottles. If you know nothing, just say, you know what? I'm going to go 
pick up a few IPA or yeah. do it by country. I'm going to go to the Germany section, the USA section. I'm going to go to the Iceland section. If you see a can that grabs your eye or a name, grab it. We found some great beers that way that you can't go wrong. I remember the uh, Hebrew Brewing uh, Company up in Brooklyn, I think, and I saw, I thought that the packaging was cool. They make great beer. They do. They really do. So you never know what you're going to find. Some may be better than others. But let's take a look at this one right over here, the, the one from Canada, which is the Collective Arts Rainbow Sherbet Sour. Now, if you knew nothing about beer, you say, I kind of like the color on it. I like the can. Rainbow Sherbet? Okay, sounds interesting. You never know. Buy it. You can conduct your own tasting. Get, here's what you do. Get a group of guys together. Maybe get five, ten people together one night. Everybody kick in 20 bucks. And you go out and buy whatever, 10, 15 beers, just a can of beer or a bottle of beer. <coughs> Throw some steaks on the grill. Grab some cigars. You got a nice Cigar Oktoberfest tasting maneuver underway that you can enjoy. And the enemies of pleasure, the pleasure police, aren't going to come anywhere near you. It's a beautiful thing. Tim Shackton, I want to thank you. As always, great to have you back after our hiatus last year. And by the way, you know that you have to save for me the one particular beer that I very much enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the Ulele Weekend Weiss. I'm going to inject my turkey with that before I fry it. Thanksgiving's <laughs> around the corner. Hard to believe. Tommy D, as always, many thanks. Cigar Dave, the general saying, may your humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag save America. Enjoy Cigar Oktoberfest. Hard to believe the end is upon us. And to Pete Buttigieg, do your job, you wussified little beta bastard. That is all. <laughs> <laughs>